Welcome to episode 18 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined once again by Dan Wellington. Hello. And Daniel Foley. Hello. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and over on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $1 a month. The support from our patrons helps towards the cost of producing the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliates link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. And I have to say, I just got through one of the uh, recent support payments, as it were, from Element Games, and it is great to see that people actually are using that link. Um, it, I mean, it's just a little bit, but it really helps. It's covered the, uh, the cost for the hosting for this month. So, yay. Awesome. <laughs> so it really does help, guys. Um, and that means that I can have wonderful guests on the show, such as Dan and Daniel. So how are you two doing? Well, we, we are both doing fine. We are. It's, it's it's like looking into a sounding into a mirror, I suppose, is our name. <laughs> sounding into a mirror, whatever that would sound like. <laughs> Hopefully, you don't cancel each other out like last time, because we've been trying to get over the nefarious curse of the double Dan, haven't we? Yes. Since yep. Curse episode sixteen was the last time. Well, not even the last time we tried to get you both in the room together. Mm. Yeah. We've to all another uh, podcast since then. So hopefully this one will actually stick and make it out to the listeners. I believe the internet just can't cope with that much Dan. So we'll find <laughs> out, won't we? <laughs> we'll see if it deteriorates over the length of the show. <laughs> oh. So um, since it has been a while since, let's see what... Daniel, I think it's been a while since we've had you on the show, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. A... Should we start with you for our, um, our paint station garrison? What have you been up to since you were last uh, on? I have been I have been delving into the depths of history and, and painting some second edition stuff as well as some current, uh, current uh, edition stuff. So I've been sort of trying to match the painting styles of previous 90s generations with some uh, ultramarines uh some ultramarines which i finished uh, the devastators of which i'll put on on the facebook page at some point uh and on top of that the uh crusade stuff which we're gonna talk about later has inspired me to uh finally get some paint onto uh my commissar which i converted up um with a holding a flag so you know the plastic one pointing a bolt pistol um but i took the sword off and uh give gave him a lovely blue flag so he's 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 waving his flag going yay follow me boys um we were actually just talking about that just before we started the show weren't we? and it does look really <laughs> nice i mean i think that is one of the best uh like 
Imperial Guard sculpted models anyway, but you've also done some really nice work with that. Adding the banner just fits so nicely like into his grip and the way he's holding like his left hand out. Yeah, it's a really versatile kit, actually, because I've seen a lot of people use them for uh, tank uh, command commissars as well, um, just chopping it off of the torso. I've seen loads of people use it for different weapon swaps. Um, I've seen him used a couple of times in Decromunda as the basis for like a noble. Yeah, he's um, it's 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 amazing how many different ways, how many different things you can get out of a, a kit like that. So you can see how how successful a sculpt is. <clears throat> they, uh, I've also uh, been painting lots and lots of blood angels, lots of blood angels, mainly their backpacks. Mainly their backpacks. Um, still sitting here with the backpacks. I've been sitting here with the backpacks for a very long time. Uh, I've currently got a Vanguard um, army on the works. Uh, so it's the inset. Well, the, the infiltrate infiltrators, or one of the, one, the ones from the Vanguard set, um, which I'm trying to get through at the moment as well. But apart from that, uh, that's pretty much me. Nice. Um, well, I'm, I look forward to seeing them in the group. Thank you. And uh, Dan, what about yourself? What have you been up to hobbying away? Uh, not that much, to be honest. Um, well, most <laughs> recent thing I finished uh, were the Demonettes and the Mask of Slanesh. Um, oh, yeah, I saw some, that. Uh, some older models, the, the Demonettes from early 2000s, I think they came out the the uh not safe for work ones um <laughs> i, I it that bad. yeah i i added to an existing squad that my wife painted um there was a mix of ones with blue and ones with pink uh claws and hair so i made some with purple to kind of mix them together a bit uh and then i painted the mask of slanesh which uh is the the metal model that came out somewhere uh probably about 10 years ago i don't know it's a while back um i think it might be 2006 or something maybe something like that when codex came out it was a while back but it's uh it's quite a nice model and you don't see it very often because i don't think it's been very good in the game for quite a long time um but anyway i i painted that up and it's got uh nice multicolored hair where i've mixed the colors of all three kind of components of the demonettes together to make it look like she's a, a unifying force. I was looking at it and it looked like you'd painted sort of like a star field effect on like her robes and stuff, or am I just mistaking that and seeing things? It's 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 almost like that. Um the uh the effect is the um uh the she's got kind of black grey uh kind of skirt going on there. Um and there's a little bit of uh, kind of like speckled edges going on that does look a, a bit Starfieldy, yes. Uh, <laughs> so clearly, it wasn't intentional. It, it wasn't the intention, <laughs> no, but it looks quite cool, so we'll keep it. It does. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's the thing I've completed most recently. The only other thing I've been working on uh, recently, I've been building some. Um, some flags uh, because obviously in, in ninth edition there are secondary objectives in match play uh, and you can one of them is raise the banners high 
uh, where you can put a banner on an objective. And I thought it probably worth making some banners. So I did. So yeah. I've, I've made some little flags on little uh, bases. Uh, and they got some gravel on are and stuff. So. Sort of like, are they faction specific or sort of like uh, universal? I'm not intending for them to be faction specific. I'll, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to paint on them. Probably some like skulls and stuff. Just generic 40k things. <laughs> yeah. It's not a 40k objective if it doesn't have a skull yeah. on it. Everyone likes skulls, right? Uh, but yeah, the little flag's uh, made of plastic card, which is, is pretty easy to do, and then you can bend it a bit to make it look like it's flowing in the wind a bit. Do they look a little bit like um, Space Marine back banners of old? Uh, there is a certain uh, element of that to them, definitely. Um, but they are... <laughs> They they are more flaggy than bannery, in fairness, mainly because that's easier to make. Fair enough. I had to, I'd had a similar idea when looking at sort of like those secondary objectives and agendas. I thought that there's a good opportunity here to do faction stuff. Like I went straight to the concepts of doing like you know a totem pole esque thing for the orcs, just made out of um, glyphs and scrap metal and such. Yeah, definitely. Um, or you know, little little dioramas of Gretchen trying to set the banners up on stuff or whatever, because they're the perfect sort of model to you can physically use Gretchen to represent your objective marker because it's entirely understandable they're not going to have any actual effect even if they yeah. were really there. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're too rubbish to do anything. They're just holding a stick. <laughs> um. I imagine there'd be plenty of things you could do for loads of armies. I know that um, I always like the idea of doing scenic stuff for Chaos Forces when you've got things like glowing runes or floating icons on pillars of flame and stuff like that. Or or a stick with a flag on it that's pointy. Or, or a stick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, know, like I know for a while I've always liked the idea of trying to make some objective markers that are um, designed specifically for a table. Um, I've got some nice universal ones I use, but I always fancy doing like a demon board and having six objectives where like one of them was dedicated to each of the gods and then there were two sort of like undivided ones. Nice. Um, but I think some of the endless spells from the Age of Sigma range would make brilliant objective markers for that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, you could go a bit crazy with that, couldn't you? Oh yeah, um, skulls bleeding blood from the eyes, chaos stars breathing fire. Um, there's all sorts, and uh, perhaps raising the flags would be something that would also be a good opportunity. Mm. I like that. I might have to do something about that. Mm. So, so that's what you you're imagining now. What have you actually been doing? <laughs> um, I have been working on more orcs, as is nearly always the case. And as always, I'm still enjoying it. I, I, I'm honestly kind of surprised I haven't got bored of painting orcs yet. <laughs> um, but right now, I'm working away on the second Boondekastaz wagon, um, which, once I get this finished, I'll actually be my complete contingent of Speed Freak units all done. Um, so that'll be the Death Killer Wartrike, two Boondekas, and the Scrapjet all finished. Nice. And in fact, this is the only one that hasn't taken to the field painted now. Hmm. Oh wait, no, that's a lie. I haven't had the war trike on yet. He's been painted <laughs> out yet. The, game yet. Uh, the infamous war trike. You get that yeah. proud gamer moment, don't you? Oh, they're all done. They're all ready. 
through finish. <laughs> oh, it's funny how one of the things we'll probably talk about in a little bit is that having a crusade force that's all painted means that whenever I go into a game now, I already know going into like game night that I'm going to be bringing a fully painted force. And in particular, it's driving me to paint particular units because I know I want to add them to the Crusade Force moving forward. Like, I know I really want to try and increase the size of my Meganob unit, which means I need to get the other three Meganobs painted before I can justify <laughs> doing that to myself. It, it is a really good motivator, I've found. Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> I started this um, second Snazwagon about two weeks ago, I think. Um, and since then, I've now played sort of like, you know, two games of Crusade, and I've got one Snazwagon in the current order of battle, and I don't have plans to add this one anytime soon. It will be getting there eventually, but just not straight away. Which means I kind of want to put it down and paint Meganops because I know I want those done. <laughs> but I want to get this finished. So it's funny that it's actually motivating me to get this finished so that I can get it done and out of the way and move on to something I actually want to add <laughs> to my order of battle soon. That's exactly why the uh, commissar is now done. Uh, that commissar has been sit had been sitting on my painting shelf since the beginning of eighth edition. So <laughs> it did give me right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did give me the, the motivation. You know, it was it needed. I needed. Yeah, I think um, I think I've had this Naswagon built since. I can't remember when it was uh, probably mid 2018, like a couple of months after the updated Orc release where they included all the new vehicles. But that was a couple of years ago now. <laughs> then he's finally getting done. But I'm so like, it, one of the main motivators for that has been Crusade. So it's been brilliant. Um, the other little thing that I have been doing as well, though, is I have got another five Orc boys painted. They weren't just more boys for the horde sort of thing. I, I painted them with a particular purpose in mind. That's because what I wanted to do was actually see how sort of quickly and confidently my paint scheme comes together for my orcs now. So I was trying to do them as a sort of a casually timed exercise to see how long it took me to paint five orcs in my scheme to my standards. Um, and just sort of work out if I'm doing it quick enough or not. Do you know what I mean? If I'm planning on painting another 100 of them <laughs> at some point. <laughs> and I was actually really pleased with the results. Um, just today, actually, I posted up on my um, Instagram feed and in the uh, the Facebook group the results of that. And it really comes down to just a few steps i mean it's painting an entire miniature so it's not exactly you know two steps and you're done but it is essentially just things like doing the leather quickly doing the skin quickly and doing the metallics quickly and once those are done then it's just as much time and effort as you want to put into things like the teeth or the eyes or you know uh, scars or tattoos or whatever and the clan colors like especially when it comes to the orc boys where they only have maybe an armor plate or a helmet a good 80 percent of the model is just the universal sort of like levers and skin tones 
and only that last 10% actually adds the clown color. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I've been, yeah. I mean, like my, don't get me wrong. My mega knobs are, are, are blue all over. Practically every armor panel on them is blue. There's no mistaking them for any of a clan. <laughs> um, in fact, the, uh, the other day when I played a game against my friend and his Tyranids, he joked that at the start of the game, it was a sea of his red versus my sea of green for my orcs. But actually, by the end of the game, when I only had vehicles and Meganobs standing, he realized I suddenly had a sea of blue. <laughs> it's like, when did, your, when did your battle line turn from being all green to all blue? Because they're the lucky ones, aren't they? That's, that's the thing. They're the ones that that is exactly the case. <laughs> um, Not sure about that. <laughs> well, well, Zagdreg has proved himself capable again. He's not so unlucky as he was in my game against you. Um, but yeah, so I was um, I, I painted up these five. Um, they're actually they're all armed with big shooters because it's basically they weren't planned out to be members of squads anytime soon. By these five orcs that needed painting, and now I've got the options of adding the big shooters to units if I want them. Yeah. Um, I was like, right, I'll see how sort of quickly I can get through these. And in the end, it took me eight hours to do five orcs, which means it averages out about 90 minutes per orc. So like an hour and a half to get what is, you know, beyond battle ready. It's not exactly Golden Demon winning, but it's certainly what Games Workshop would class these days as parade ready. Yeah. Um, and I'm quite happy with them. And I think... With a bit more sort of concentration and um, dedication, I could probably get that ninety minutes down to sixty minutes. Yeah. Um, and some stuff like having my brass uh, turn pre-mixed is really helpful. I have it all pre-made up in a pot, so I don't end up spending time constantly trying to do fifty-fifty lead vulture and monfang. Cunning. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's it's really nice and quick. Um, even though there's about four stages of doing Agrex Earthshade on various different bits, rather than trying to do all those bits in order to then do one pass of Agrax, I'll do the levers, do all that, and then I'll do the skin, and then do the weapons. Because especially in the case of the big shooters, like the weapons are over a lot of the chest. Or, oh yeah, you know, on those models. It's, 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 yeah, or it's easier to paint the, the gun grip in and around the orc hand once the hand's already painted and so on. So I find some areas it's that technique of painting from the inside out rather than just going, well, the gun's going to get washed. So I'll paint the gun at the same time as the leather. Cause actually what will happen is when I try to go back and do the green skin, I might end up, I'll either make mistakes and get bits on the gun. I have to repaint or I end up having to take longer cause I have to be more careful trying to get into the bits of skin which I could have just done a lot quicker by not worrying about getting it on the gun. Because at that stage, I haven't yet painted the gun, so it's going to be fine. So just sort of adjusting the order that I do some areas or sections um, has really helped speed it up, and I'm sure I could probably refine it a little bit more. But that was, um, that was an interesting exercise, and I was um, quite pleased with the turnaround that I've got going on those now, so... Were you quite I mean, surprised with it? Did you think it would be would take a lot longer or or a lot less time? It's funny. So 
when you say out loud that I'm like, I spent eight hours yeah. painting five orcs, that sounds like a long period of time. But when I break it down to, well, per orc, that's 90 minutes, mm. that's an hour and a half. So if you think about it, even on like an evening where yeah. I don't have a ton of time, you could probably do the equivalent of an orc a night. Yeah. Now, because of the way that, you know, doing the layers and the washers, um, it's easier to batch paint it. So I'll be doing five at a time. So I'm not going to do an orc a night, but it means that over five nights, I'll get those five guys done. Yeah. Also, what you might find is as well, the more you do, the, the average time shortens because obviously you're using the same color. You're not moving between colors. So because if... yes. That, I think well. that's the thing that I'm really pleased about with it is that those eight hours have been spent split up over about five nights. So that's, you know, an hour to two hours per night. And that's with, you know, distractions such as kids, <laughs> you know, dinner time, pets, partners, all the rest of it, you know, just household stuff that needs doing. It's literally just an hour or two I can grab on an evening after work, after dinner, before we go to bed. You know, um, so it's not a dedicated sit down, have eight hours in a dedicated, you know, paint station space. This is, you know, sat in the living room watching TV with the missus sort of thing. So it's a very relaxed pace to it. Um, and I think doing stuff like tonight, I'm doing all the levers. The next night, I'm going to do all the gunmetal. Then I'll do a wash. And while that wash is drying, I'll do the skin. Stuff like that. Like you said, doing that one thing for the one evening makes it so much more productive use of that limited time do you find um do you find that though sometimes it can be a bit demoralizing that you've only you finally get to a point you think oh i've only done the levers but then i don't know do you then get to a point where you go oh wow i've managed to paint five and suddenly they've appeared from nowhere because i often find when I batch paint, I did sometimes some nights I go, oh, I've only managed to do this, and then obviously the closer I get to finishing, it makes it more you want to get done. But do you do you find that the same? Yes, I do, um, particularly with orcs, because about the first, I mean, realistically, what feels like the first, I don't know. 40 to 50 percent of the model but in truth it's probably about the first 60 to 70 percent of the model doesn't feel like as much progress and that's because i start from a, a base coat of a brown so when you know the first stage is oh i'm now going to paint this all these leather straps a slightly lighter tone of brown than the rest <laughs> of the model currently is and then yeah i'm going to wash it all so that it makes it all look the same dark brown again. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to dry brush it all with a slightly lighter brown. <laughs> and you're talking actually like two, <laughs> two and a half evenings work. And by the end of those first couple of days, all I've got is these models that are still just brown. <laughs> but it's at that point I get... away from the table. I just go, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Like you'll you'll see if you look at the uh, pictures I put up in the group, the first sort of like two to three pictures don't look that different. In fact, the first two you really have to look to notice the fact that the levers have got the straps and metal details like the buckles and stuff, different colours, um, or like the um, the toe caps on the boots, um, and then they've been washed off. 
But once you add the green skin on, obviously you, you concentrate on doing the skin, you know, sure, do the base layer, do a wash, dry brush it to put the, you know, the features back on. And then as soon as that step's done, you actually look at the model and you go, huh, that's 90% finished. Because the only thing left to do is um, the weapons, which are mostly just a layer of metallic and then a wash. Because I don't bother going back and doing like highlights and stuff on the weaponry unless it's character models. Fair. Um, and the clan colors, mm. which again, like I say, is mostly just an armor plate here and armor plate there. I find that doing the clan colors is kind of like the reward step. It's the bit that's the nice bit where I can decide on a, a more individual pr- um, basis. Do I want this armor plate to be blue or do I want this one to be the spockler of black armor plating? You know, or do I want to put checkers on this one or not? You know, is this the unit sergeant? So he might look like he might get a glyph. Do I want to add a single transfer here? That's where I can reward myself for the extra features after I've done the bulk of the work. But it's funny how brown leather, brown straps, a couple of metal buckles, and then a wash does feel like little to no progress <laughs> until you do the green skin and suddenly you realize that between the skin and the leather that's 90 percent of the work done and it goes from like 10 percent feeling of completion to like 90 percent feeling of completion nice i think uh, i think i do it kind of the other way around because uh, i i always do all the metal first because i do lots of dry brushing on that and then i do the skin on my orcs so I, then the model looks like it's nearly done and then I've got to do all the little straps and all the little bits and paint the trousers and stuff, and where I've messed up on all the, the on on the skin and the metal, which has been really messy. So then I've got like the model looks like it's nearly done, but it's going to take me like twice as long again to get it done from that stage. Well, maybe you should try the way around. Maybe, maybe. Try and everything put the weapons first, mm. and just see how that feels in your scheme. Yeah, it might not be the right way for you, but who knows. Um, I know that um, obviously it varies from what you're working on. Like the mega knobs, it's very much the lever and the skin are the quick bits because uh, <laughs> just yeah. a tiny little things poking out and some trousers around the um, the crotch, and that's about it. Yeah, you've got to look quite hard oh, for that, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> then the rest of it is like, how many armor plates do I have to do? All how am I going to make these look different from each other without just looking the same? <laughs> Um, it's good that I still enjoy it. Um, I think at this point now I'm, I'm close to 90 orc boys painted and I've got another 10 to do that I'm still excited to do. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I don't feel like this fatigue has kicked in yet. The magic three digits. Yeah, I'll get there at some point. I think I'll end up with 90 slugger boys and then I'll look to do another 90 shooter boys. <laughs> and then eventually I have like... I've got the the... the target 180 where i can field like six max size units yes <laughs> and i've got weapon right here across them i, mm. I doff my cap to you on that one yeah <laughs> that's it's quite it's brave yeah, it's bad enough painting 30 conscripts without feeling sick <laughs> <laughs> i think the other thing that's i think there's a reason why orc boys are so tedious to paint more so than even overhauled units like termagants or guardsmen or you know horrors or demonets or whatever and i think it's because of two reasons one 
orcs are actually surprisingly physically large for a horde model. Hmm. Yeah. Like, they're not that much smaller than a Primaris marine. And yet, you're meant to be painting 30 of them, so it actually is a surprising large amount of plastic to cover in paint. You know, no matter how you go about applying it. True. Like, whenever I've painted some of my guardsmen, they just feel tiny compared to my orcs. <laughs> it feels so quick to do them. And then the second thing is, I think until you've actually painted one, you don't appreciate how many little details there are on an orc that you can't really even conscious skip. Yeah, so all, I know all those belt buckles. Yeah, there's so many people out there that'll talk about like either when it comes to space marines, they'll they'll either just decide not to put grenades on the belt. Or if it's a model that comes with the grenades like already molded on, they'll either completely just ignore painting them, so they'll just be the same ultramarines blue as the armor, or they'll literally just whack on one quick layer of lead voucher, and then it you know it gets a wash with the rest of the model. Sure, fine, you know that's that's not a problem because that is very little effort. When actually you look at your boys and you've got. Buckles and three different layers of leather, which unless you just want to do them all as the same brown, you've got the boot next to the trouser leg, which has got a strap on it. So how do you make those three different components? They're all brown and all next to each other. How do you break them up? Mm -hmm. Across that, you've got multiple buckles and teeth, which again, are not just another metal trinket you can do on your metal pass. You have to do them on a bone pass. So that's another color term. Like this guy I'm working on at the moment on the Boom Dacker Snazwagon, he's carrying glass bottles because he's got molotovs. <laughs> he's got two on his belt. And you can't just paint that like it's a grenade. It's no, a bottle. Yeah. And then you go, do I put the liquid in? Do I not? Do I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, then there's the uh, the bullets, which they've all got festooned, just, you know, laced in bandoliers and stuff. And you're yep. like, right, well, again, now I need to add some metallics on here, but do I do it as a, a casing and a. Uh, a bullet tip you know like i do that i have like a brass casing and a silver tip so the bullets are two component colors yep That's some orcs they do or don't even have shoes on so then some of them you might be doing your squad of 10 and two of them have got uh claws on their feet that you're going to miss because the rest of them have <laughs> been doing boots so do you bother painting in the extra green toes and claws and stuff and then um, I on top of that you got the dags and the uh, checks as well yep yeah that's before you're adding the optional design extras that you want like i've i'm i'm painting death skulls and i've yet to actually bother painting any tattoos on any of them because i don't feel i need it you know between the clan colors and the checks and the daggers and the bullets and the transfers i don't also need to go so far as painting wall paint on them i might do it at some point in the future if i feel like coming back and adding some details but right now i do not need to paint (laughs) Individual tattoos on my orcs as well. I'll go on. It is. <laughs> oh, and, then, and then it depends whether or not you've got any of them that have got a helmet that's got like fur on it, yep. or top knots for hair, or horns, which some of the horns, if you look at the kits, will just be like metal struts of spikes for horns. Some of them will be actual like ivory bone horns. So then you've got that distinction to make. That's before you go so far as adding uh, bionics that some of them will have, you know. 
and a lot of this stuff isn't optional as such. You know, it's just it's you there. might be able to minimize how many, how much of it you choose to include on the kit, but yeah, a lot of it is just there. Whereas with the Space Marines, you can choose to put the helmet on rather than having the half bionic sergeant head. You can choose to put the grenades on the belt. You know, that, <laughs> that's up to you. So anyway, yeah, that's that, that's some of the woes of painting orcs. <laughs> having said that, I still enjoy it. Like I still genuinely haven't got bored of painting them yet. So that's probably a win the next then. 90 won't break me. Yeah. Well. So yes, that's what I've been working on, and to be honest, I'm not sure what I'll be working on next. Probably the Mega Knobs, but I'm hoping this Boom Dakis now is going to be done in the next day or two, and then maybe next week I can pick up the rest of the Death Wreckers, and get them finished and ready to join my order of battle. Cool. So, speaking of which, in case the listeners haven't guessed yet, be it from our ramblings or the thumbnails or description of the video, we're going to be talking about Crusade again tonight. Hooray! And whereas in the last episode, uh, me and Chris talked about natural mechanics of how you create and run games using the Crusade system, tonight the three of us are basically just going to have a pretty open discussion about our experiences playing crusade so far and we're gonna you know take a little look at some of our current orders of battle and just generally some of our thoughts on crusade it's really good I, I like it. <laughs> it is it is really good it, and that was the show guys yeah. so, <laughs> please don't go anywhere we will be back in a minute yeah, we'll be back in a minute with a more detailed look at our crusades so we'll see you back in a second guys are you enjoying the narrative wargamer podcast if you are why not check out our community facebook group at narrative wargamer on facebook we share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players we're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we're back guys. So, as we alluded to, we've been playing some games of Crusade and uh what do we think, guys? It's I I love it. It's given me an opportunity to just put so much background into an army that I've owned for quite a long time. So it's it's been uh, getting all these stories. Lots of narrative cinematic moments have happened, which I will be talking about in a bit. But yeah, thumbs up from me. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely something oh. that I'm a I'm a fan of at this stage. Uh, I think it's it's quickly becoming one of those moments that feels like, how did we live without it? Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, how did we play forty k before? I can't quite remember because it 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 really does feel like a nice, intuitive, natural addition to the game. It doesn't feel forced or gimmicky. Like as much as I love, you know, Cities of Death, Planet Strike all these other like expansions and ways to play the game. Part of the reason why 
they're appealing is because they're a change. Whereas I can see Crusade just being a very natural, comfortable fit on how to just play, for me, standard 40k. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely think because they've supported it so well within the main codexes and the main rulebook, it doesn't feel like an add-on. It feels like it's integral. Um, I agree. Which is, it's it's lovely to see. Yeah, it definitely feels like um, it's, a, it's a viable alternative to your standard match play games rather than just like a sort yeah. of, here's, here's a little thing for you, you weird people who like stories to do. It's you know it's 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 real forty k if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think it's got a real good fit for things like Club Night. Do you know what I mean? It's got that kind of yeah, definitely baked into it almost where you can have that gathering of you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty people, whatever, who all meet on a semi regular basis, and you can have that familiar uh, like familiarity with each other's armies because over the past couple of years you've played probably everybody a couple of times you typically know what favorite armies people are going to bring but it just adds that extra sense of oh this isn't just john's you know tau army this is john's tau army it's going to be different to playing mike's tau army and stuff like that and if you play them for six months you are going to see those differences definitely yeah. i i think also um it allows you to do that campaign-esque style play without having to dedicate um, too much. Like, if you can only play the occasional game, you're not having to commit to, a, like, a regular slot. You can just go pick up and play. Here we go. Done. Um, where are you? Where am I? This is where we are. This is how many power level we're going to do. I mean, for goodness sake, it got me to play power level. I never <laughs> played power level the entirety of eight, and I played power level and I've played power level twice in a row. My goodness. Nice. Yeah, I'm the same, I have to say. I think I mentioned this as a like amusing to Chris last episode that I thought maybe Crusade would finally legitimise power level as a widely accepted way to play. And having now played some games of Crusade using power level, I completely agree. I, I, I think that is the case. And I have to say, I've played a game against Tyranids, who are one of the ones that seem like the extreme edge cases for power level, where every unit had every maximum possible kind of biomorph it could have, because it could. We looked at it in points value, and technically he was like 300 points up on me. <laughs> but the point is, about 200 of those extra 300 points just don't come into play. Like, what does it matter if yeah. it's Hive Guard that's back and shoot yeah. to cause an additional damage on a roll of six to eight in combat? I mean, it it allowed it, yeah, it's it allowed me to go cool. I'm going to use a command squad, and I'm going to have a medic, and I'm going to have a standard bear, and I'm going to have a Vox caster, and you, there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to happen. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, you, you you don't care if in a match play scenario that's very point inefficient to do that because you're not getting the maximum you know, bang for your buck out of your command squad. Mm. You don't care because you're getting a cool command squad that doesn't feel like it's penalising you for taking the cool stuff. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's it's the, it's the case of my command squad now even has a name. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been having so much fun naming all my orcs my units. <laughs> like um, Flyboy Tank Splitter, the famous <laughs> scrapjet. Hey, so, hey, you know how in 8th they were always talking about how the Psychic Awakening books were designed for 
ninth edition in mind. So now yeah. we know why they've all got name generators in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I is clearly why they were there. They're there for naming your units in Crusade, and I love it. I've been having so much fun using my orc naming table. Oh, ditto. Um, but I'm because of the way uh, I, I view guardsmen, which is in the Death Corps of Krieg style way of viewing guardsmen. Um, I only name the sergeants. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> otherwise. Mm. <laughs> I'd be using that name generator every every time I played. Yeah, it, it, it has to be the sergeant and the current men under his command <laughs> at this yep. battle. Yep. Oh, that's fair. Um, so yes, yeah, so as you've probably guessed, um, Daniel, you're playing with. Guard and your current crusade force. Yes. So the 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 idea behind it was, I've had this guard army for, for match play purposes for quite some time. Um, but it is based on the um, sort of order of battle from the the book. So I have a full uh, platoon with full complement with all the extra bits and pieces and a full tank company which I can support it with. So I've taken the platoon, uh, which is the uh, I can read it for you. So it's the um, Fifth Cadian Rifles uh, Zeta Platoon, uh, and uh, basically run with them as uh, individual squads. Each squad has its, uh, the sergeants uh, are named. Um, I've got my second lieutenant Tabrook, who is the uh, the. Uh, I'm using him as a company command, but technically he's platoon level at the moment. Um, <laughs> just just because of the way um, patrol, uh, you, you have to take a platoon level guys are elite choices and it means you have to, it, 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 it's an unfortunate quirk of the uh, codex because um, uh, otherwise you would, wouldn't have any HQ slots um, and then I because I've named all my, my tanks I've got uh, uh, Aurora Aleman Russ and Jasmine the Demolisher who are, are joining in and they've um, I've been having a crack in time just like adding in little names and, and little stories to things uh, and on top of that I've been writing doing little write-ups with the reports as well. So once the games are finished, I'll do a, a write-up um, and post that on the uh, Facebook, the narrative Facebook um, page as well, which has been great fun. It's getting the role-play element in. It's been fantastic. It is good yeah, to... Uh, really yeah, it's good to write up your games and, and sort of revisit them a bit. Mm. I especially thought it was funny when Dave wrote up his yes. uh, report of the same battle from the perspective of the Flesh Terrors. That was a really <laughs> fun... So the first game uh, I played against, I did play against Dave. Um, and uh, it was a sort of a, a test of the rules more than an actual thing. But we did, you know, sort of set how serious as possible for sort of continuation. And uh, so the idea was we played a Assassinate mission. It was a 25, point, uh, 25 power level game and uh, the idea was that um, the flesh eaters had got a bit carried away and mm -hmm. possibly gone into a hab block and eaten everybody uh, so it was my my uh, my greens platoon that have just uh, come come through basic training to uh, sort of investigate Whereas the higher ups thinking they're not going to make it out alive of this one, we know what's going to happen. But lo and behold, uh, Captain Tobruk and his uh, band of plucky individuals managed to um, thwart the lieutenant and uh, s 
slay him. And uh, in, in doing so, um, I managed to get him an extra wound uh, on on his uh, sort of battle honors. Because yeah, when you win the uh, if you win the mission, the reward as such is a is a is an extra battle honor. And uh, that came into use in the next game. But the the actual game against Dave was fabulous. We had the um, we had the Necromunda tiles out for the, and the wall section for the sort of entrance to the hub block. And then we used the card um, gaming table as the sort of outside. And they were coming in. It was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Dave's counter write-up afterwards was brilliant. Uh, so if you, if anyone ever plays me, please do counter write-ups because I do enjoy the... Uh, the point of view side of things it's fantastic um but yeah it was it was a a, a great little uh, battle and um it was surprising how interesting it was on such a small table as well because uh, obviously we used the 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 minimum size side of things and i it was really made it just as enjoyable i thought i'm not sure about this but actually it really uh brought everything quite close in so dave did get to massacre several of the squads that I uh, used. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, I've had a similar impression of, certainly I, I've played 2,000 point games. Sorry, I've played two 1,000 point games. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so like 50 power level crusade games um, to begin with, and I've played them both on actually a, a 4x4 um, play space. Which is just marginally larger than the recommended, uh, than the minimum size for like a thousand point game, yeah. and I have found it's been the sort of perfect size and scale for that scale of game. Now, me personally, I've yet to play, uh, you know, a seventeen fifty two thousand point game. I think I'll still be looking to play on the six by four table at that scale because I just like. I think I like the scope of it and I feel like I like having some space to maneuver so people can actually try and maneuver around each other outflank and stuff. Whereas I think sometimes some of the smaller boards lead to just battle line clashes. Um, so having, having experience, cause I've, I reduced my, um, my table size well on the, at home and having played a couple of 2000 points, I really like the smaller tables. Um, because it means combat armies get to do stuff, <laughs> which is quite fun. Not that they didn't get to do stuff in eighth, but it just means that um, you can't run away as easy, which is quite fun. Um, Maybe perhaps it's um, perhaps scenario dependent as well, which mm. I mean, I guess might be a little problematic if you're on your mission up after you've set your board up. Mm. But like, for example, um, the second game of Crusade I played was the breakthrough mission. Mm-hmm. So where both of us were attempting to have units escape off the opponent's deployment edge. Mm-hmm. Now, having two relatively hordious armies, you know, orcs and tyranids in that particular game, it did feel like there was no opportunity for units to try and sneak past the lines. Do you know what I mean? It was just going to be two clashing battle lines and wherever a unit managed to murder its way through would then be its opportunity to try and cross the table. Um, and I feel like on a larger board for that particular mission, that might provide some opportunity for actually trying to manoeuvre around each other or chase each, chase each other down, try and prevent escape. Um, whereas, yeah, sure, if it's a, a mission where you're trying to claim something important in the middle of the table, then you know being that bit closer together and reducing that critical distance 
might be more influential. Mm. I'm certainly not opposed to the small table. No, I, I mean, for I, me... I it, going for a thousand point games for sure. I mean, for me, it's quite funny because I, I, I do feel the full platoon. So it, it, whether it's a small table or a large table, I kind of don't have any space left anyway when I finish <laughs> putting down all the models. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, so that, that was the first game. Um, and then the second game I played against uh, another friend of mine who uh, would go down to the club that both Dave and I attend, uh, Tom Roberts. And he brought along his, uh, it was his first Crusade game, and he brought along his um, uh, Night of the Long Dawn uh, uh, Dark Elder. And uh, the scenario that we played was the Relic, the one that you can move around. Um, yep. And it turned into an absolute bloodfest. It was fantastic. It was, I've got the relic. He's got the relic. I've got the relic. He's got the relic. I've got the relic. Ah, oh, there's no one left. <laughs> it, it was brilliant. <laughs> um, and some really cool stuff happened that was kind of um, not, it was definitely not planned, but it was very fortuitous in what had happened in the previous mission with my, regarding my army. So I decided it, this was a 50 uh, power level game. And I decided to add in this, some sentinels to the game, um, to the army for this particular bit. They're, they're in my um, roster, uh, was it Order of Battle um, selection? Um, but I added in uh, the Psyker, and uh, the Primaris Psyker, and he first only went up into the middle of the objective, sat on the relic, um, but uh, was stopped and killed, or sort of, in, I don't know what we would call it, sort of critically injured. Uh, by um, one of uh, Tom's uh, Dark Elder uh, Lords or whatever, Archons. He he then rolled, at the end of the game, I then rolled a, a one for the Battle Scars. And he, uh, fluke by fluke, managed to roll up. Um, he can't do any actions because he's terrified of the thing. And he had the relic, so he was trying to pick up the, the, the relic as... <laughs> as he was sort of taken out of action. So I love the idea of this psycho's like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going anywhere near the front. You can do it yourself. Go away. I'm not doing it. That's what guardsmen <laughs> squads are for. Yeah. Uh, so currently he can't, he can't pick anything up ever at the moment. <laughs> That's amazing. And you say you actually, you actually got that one rolled for randomly. Yeah. I, 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 I roll randomly. I don't, um, I don't, unless it's something really obvious i've been rolling randomly and it's been quite interesting and and again another sort of cinematic moment of the battle is his second archon jumped towards um lieutenant tobruk into combat um did loads of wounds to him and tobruk saved all but one but if he hadn't have got the extra wound from the previous battle he would have died but because he got that extra wound he lived and it was just like yes <laughs> it's Perfect. completely pointless on a guardsman lieutenant but who cares this is fantastic <laughs> it wasn't completely pointless in that moment exactly and it was just brilliant there was loads of little moments like that had the mortars um chucking rounds in to uh stop them from from picking up the relic and it, it unfortunately uh, i had to retreat into the tree line um as as it got to the last turn and there was just nothing left i think he had he had a raider and one archon left, and I had a squad of guardsmen and a command squad left with the lieutenant. 
Um, and it was it was an absolute bloodbath. Um, it was that point I spent some uh, requisition points to add tank aces to the um, the uh, demolisher, um, and just sort of up armored it and uh, gained enough experience to up gun it as well. So again, rolled randomly and um, hence, uh, and got uh, an extra six inch range to the the demolisher cannon, which Oof. is really good yeah <laughs> really good yeah um, it is but again there was another moment in the battle where i moved the tank forward and forgot uh four inches because obviously you get to shoot twice of yet but didn't realize it wasn't in range so i like the idea that the crew went right we need to upgun this we need to we need to uh this was, we had a moment we need to we need to sort this out here um but there was just so many little moments in the game where i went oh that's cool because this guy's got this and oh that's cool because this guy's got this but uh so a, a win and a loss, but a, a brilliant opponent and a really, really thematic game. Added rivers in, and on top of that, you'll be you'll be proud of me, Tony. I used a battle, um, what they call battle scape, battle theme, battle zone. Well, um, these or, days now they're, they're not anymore. <laughs> it's funny. It's, I say I'm probably the only person in the world that's noticed this, but they've slightly rebranded them all now. So what used to be battle zones, yeah and now becoming known as theatres of war that's the one so and do you know the reason why this is or no, why no, is? no no because they with all the new terrain kits they're releasing it's all this new like manufactorum terrain yeah. that they're all being boxed and all the box sets are referred to as battle zones now right okay so it's battle zone sector mechanicus battle zone Defo forest whatever so I have this odd little suspicion that they've decided to reuse the word battle zone to represent terrain boxes. And ah. now the <laughs> rule sets for environmental effects in game are now becoming known as theatres of war. Yes. Well, we used a theatre of war, I believe, because we I've got I picked up the pariah book, which is great for all the little different um, the different effects. So I, we use the jungle one um, where the objectives have uh, we rolled up hunters so the relic was booby trapped uh, nice. but also gave you but it also gave you plus one leadership because it was kind of like oh there's some extra equipment here and and um that. <laughs> and then the other thing that we had in there we didn't use the um the random creatures because um tom and i was we were trying to get uh to grips with the the the, the rules for crusade so we didn't want yeah. to swamp ourselves with too many yeah. things but the other thing we used was um if you ended up in any of the uh forest um terrain um you and you rolled a one you you got entangled and you were a minus one to hit whether it's shooting or combat it was really good a little nice little extra bit onto that so it was good fun yeah did it did it hopefully have the effect where it didn't feel like it massively influenced or swung the game one way or another, but it had little moments where you just noticed it having an effect, and it was kind of like, oh, that's cool. The, 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 yeah, it didn't swing too much. The, the, the bit I liked the most was the fact that every time we approached the objective, we all kind of held our breath as we rolled, rolled the dice to see if the booby trap went off, but it never did, so it was, uh, uh... <laughs> it was that sort of, Ooh, okay, oh, it's fine. But I, it was also quite amusing having leadership five conscripts, which was also quite entertaining because of the plus one. So that's a, that's a thing that will never happen again. <laughs> Until you use that battle zone again, and then the booby trap goes off. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, there's some really good ones in there. Um, and I got enough terrain to do some different bits and pieces. Um, so it was just a nice one with the river and, and the extra bits and pieces. But yeah, fabulous. I'm loving it. I'm giving so many little stories. Um, um, have you created any crusade goals for your force? Um, so sort of and sort of not. So my, my crusade goal is, is there's one goal and the idea is we're getting back to Cadia. That's we're we're heading back. So thematically, it's a case of my guys are fighting across war zone after war zone after war zone to get back to Cadia. And I'm kind of hoping with the crusade books that they're bringing out that one of them might be possibly, hopefully, because of the the War of the Spider book, they sort of hint at it, uh, sort of uh, war zone Cadia, possibly. Which would be nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if it is, I'd quite like to go back and fight on Cadia again to take it back because Cadia stands and the guard broke, uh, the, the planet broke before the guard did. So there you go. So they say. <laughs> no, no, it's definitely a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if that is one of the areas that they're going to uh, venture into. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of like the famous areas of the galaxy revisited like i'm sure we'll probably see a, a like battle zone armageddon yeah probably at some yeah point. Um, especially since at the moment the place is practically half a demon world <laughs> yeah i mean the, the 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 sort of clues i look for is are the in the core rule book the big one they've got the war zones labeled and one of them the first one is in there or one of them in there is pariah is the pariah nexus so I wouldn't be surprised if they just use the ones in the rule book and one of them happens to be Cadia. So Well, based on that same theory, I think we're probably soon going to see something along the lines of Warzone Mars. Ooh. Like I don't think they'll go mm. straight as far as going to Terra. No. But I've noticed that Mars seems to be getting slowly more and more prominence within, like you say, the the hinted parts of the background, yeah, um, where they are trying to make it a more noticeable galactic landmark, it's just often overshadowed by the fact that it's right next to Terra. But I won't be surprised if we saw something to do with all the, you know, the Desert Dunes and the Admech and who knows, maybe the Necrons or whatever, mm. and the dragon. <laughs> well, the Void Dragon's woken up now, hasn't he? In some he capacity. Has. So yeah. we'll be seeing him on the battlefield of the 41st millennium soon. Um, so yeah, so how then, just sort of quickly, Daniel, how have yeah. you found the process of having created your initial order of battle and then how you plan on it growing? Sort of like what's the what was your thinking behind what you started with and where you're aiming to take it? So the initial start off plan was to take uh, a core Cadian infantry platoon uh, with the, the command section, the five infantry squads, um, and then bolt things onto that to, with, with the remaining power level that I had left, because that isn't a lot of power level. <laughs> I think it's about, I think it's about 20, 20, if that, um, bolt on support items that 
because then then it starts to feel like a living breathing army this particular platoon has requested uh reconnaissance this particular platoon has requested uh infantry support artillery support tank support air support so it can bolt things onto it so it's all built around that core platoon and then having the characters in there who hopefully will sort of start to become living breathing characters um which they are i mean like the psych has a name he's already now sort of in my mind he's like the most useless piece of you know (laughs) (laughs) mutant filth that i can think of and uh in my head now i've requested uh, because they lost their first game as soon as they lose their first game in my head i'm going right they now get assigned a commissar because they ran away effectively (laughs) um so i'm making very careful choices on what happens game to game of what i add in and what i choose um and looking at how i can then sort of build onto that because i have the model that's the one thing i'm not um so concerned about i'm not having to buy models to go oh that'll be the next thing to add i've got this is already a quite a hefty army already um and it's just a case of going right what is it that the unit would request next and what is it i mean i could even if i wanted to um if if the story requires it i don't think i will but i could even request um assassin support inquisition support um extra bits and and pieces like that which is quite a fun fun idea um but i'm what i'm definitely not doing uh is adding special characters in um which just because I, I just don't like the idea because <laughs> it's my army and nobody else's and you can't have it um <laughs> if you have the same feeling usually in sort of normal games one-off games i would be quite happy using special characters but i'm really not keen on doing it for crusade i don't know if anyone else has had the same thought. well i mean I've had the same thought. It's just that, you know, as a Death Skull player, I don't really have the option anyway. <laughs> like, I, practically all the Orc special characters are goths. Um, and the only real option for anyone else is Big Gaz these days, um, yeah. as he can join anyone. Um, but I have no intention of outranking old Zagdreg. He will be the war boss, he will lead his war band, and we will build all our glorious legends. <laughs> But yeah, um, I, I mean, not if I have something to say about it, <laughs> <laughs> you're hoping the orcs break before the guard do. <laughs> yeah, indeed, well, they just break stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but from a from a game player perspective as well, obviously, if you do, you are allowed to include special characters in your oh, yeah. battle for Crusade, but. It almost feels a little bit like why bother because they don't gain any kind of progression and they can't take any, um, you know, extra war yeah. traits or relics or partake in basically any of the fun stuff in Crusade. Yeah, what's the I, and I think that's been done really well because it, it really puts you it does, that puts you off is probably too strong a phrase. It really makes you want to concentrate on your own characters um, instead of looking at established ones. Um, I mean, I think certain characters obviously they can work and they will feel like a natural fit. So for example, it probably doesn't feel like you want to bring Marnius Kalga to your crusade list because he's going to very much be taking the spotlight off any other characters yep. that you try to develop in your own force. It's kind of like, well, he's the chapter master. Like unless you're going to bring Gulliman in, no one's going to outshine him. And if you bring Gulliman in, then what does it 
care if your random lieutenant has you know made a little bit of a name for himself. He's just not going to be <laughs> standing out. Whereas I could imagine, for example, someone playing an Emperor's Children warband and having Lucius the Eternal just sort of like saunter up and hang out for a bit. You're like, you know, this is the warband he's currently taken up yeah. with and he's doing his yeah. own thing. And then it almost kind of feels appropriate that he doesn't really progress with the warband because he's doing his own thing. He just happens to be around. Well, that's what I meant with the, the option of the Inquisition. So I've got, um, I have got Eisenhorn, but again, it, I can't use him. And this is such a silly reason why I can't use him in, in my head canon because... <laughs> so <laughs> the reason why I can't use him, even though I have the model, he's fully painted, he's ready, is because he's not alive. It's it's too early. It's too late in the timeline, and just it doesn't work in my head. <laughs> Which you know, <laughs> uh, because in your head, your force is trying to avenge the fall of Cadia. Exactly, and, and he's very Eisenhorn's much timeline is a lot pre. Yeah, it's very Kadia much pre pre Cadia falling. Um, yeah. But That's a good again, about that. yeah, it's 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 really interesting because guard and uh, uh, they they've got around it with Tau in the background because they've they've used um, cryo stuff. But guard are an interesting one because average human in forty k living about 100, 200 years, but that causes a problem when the universe and the characters and everything spans. It's okay for Marines; they live forever and it's they're effectively immortal. But for guardsmen, it's like uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> They have to try and get around it with things like a rejuvenate treatment. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, if the average lifespan of a perfectly healthy human who does not get shot in the line of duty is 150 years or so, then we've rejuvenated technology. We can probably push that to 300, maybe 400 tops, if you're talking about the likes of Yarrick. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, otherwise... He was, he was getting on a bit. In the third war, he was he was really pushing. <laughs> Otherwise, um, the other thing you can get away with is tiny whiny warp travel. Yes, like, yeah, um, yeah. the fact that just because you're a human with a life expectancy of 100 years doesn't mean that you'll live those 100 years consecutively in yeah. the linear nature of the timeline of the universe if you spend what ends up being 40 years real time traveling from one planet to another through the warp, but to yep. you it was six months. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you can get around it. There, there's ways and means and things, but I, I, I don't want to go too, too uh, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's, um, there's a little point in, I think it's a really good little thing in um, Baneblade. Have you read that one at all? I think it's, No, um, no, no. I can't remember who read that, read that one. Um, I want to say Guy Healy, but don't quote me on that because I think that might, I don't know if that's right or not. But um, in Baneblade, there's a the main character you're following has been recruited from you know his relatively po- uh, prosperous imperial world, and he goes and he joins um, the guard. But what happens is one of the uh, like expeditionary fleets or equivalents, you know, the, the, these guard regiments from this world, it routinely returns to the world to pick up new recruits yeah um and the only reason it does this is because as it's one of these actually quite prosperous um imperial worlds so it's actually not always war-torn or ravaged by some (laughs) threat so it can actually produce a couple of generations of uh, guardsmen quite neatly um 
and because of that, it's one of the rare times that a, a guardsman might ever actually return to his homeworld in his right. line of service. If you if you've left with that regiment, and then your regiment at some point comes back to pick up a new cycle of recruits, um, and this main character he ends up meeting his um, it's like his great granddad, um, <laughs> who's like a, he's he's the tank commander of this Bane Blade, um, but he's only got like twenty years on him. Right, you know, actual age difference because of the weird. He's trying to work weird. out why he is, and it's like, and his granddad explains it. He's like, oh, his great granddad explains. He's it. like, well, I've spent you know pretty much every other six months of my life traveling in the warp because I'm going to another war zone. So for me, it's I've only been in the guard for twenty, thirty years, but for you back on the home world, it's been four generations since I've returned to the planet. That's very cool. new recruits. There's a there's another uh, one in the Night Codex where. One of the the, the uh, Chaos Knights one where they they get attacked by the Inquisition. Their their night homeworld gets attacked by the the Order Kronos, and they're like, "Why? We haven't done anything." And they retreat from the homeworld, go into the Eye of Terror, come back out, and get really annoyed. And then, but because of warp, they they end up attacking their own. It's it's like a loop, a time loop. So they're the cause of their own um, traitor. Rustness, if that's a word, yeah. yeah, um, yeah, so you can do that, but I'm trying to avoid doing timey wimey wibbly wobbly stuff if I can. So, yeah, are, are we saying that, uh, Tony, your uh, your big mech might eventually find himself in coming, uh, coming from the future to, to kill him and steal his favorite <laughs> claw? <laughs> Well, possibly, but we'd have to see who comes out on top because the trouble is they can't both be the luckiest git. No. <laughs> or can they? Maybe they're that lucky. They yeah. can do it. They can both coexist at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be an interesting well, option if you wanted to add another Big Mac. To your uh, to your list, <laughs> it, 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 it's just a time splinter version of himself. <laughs> That's so forty k though, isn't it? That is so forty k. <laughs> That's brilliant. Anyway, um, Dan, tell us a bit about your crusading. All right then. So I've had three crusade games so far with my Admech, uh, and. Uh, the first two were against a Emperor's Children warband, uh, and then the third one was against uh, some some sneaky Death Skull orcs. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> I wonder what yeah, that could have been. That we may have alluded to previously. Um, so my my crusade is. I'm just getting my sheet here. Uh, the I've got the the Helios Exploratory Crusade is the name. Um, and they are all currently they're all admech from the Riser Forge world. Um, they are led by Magus Vetius Thanic, uh, which is uh, names from the generator. Uh, and I've decided that my my admech force is kind of a, a newer one of my armies, and I've not got that much like kind of backstory in my head about it. It's just just an army. So I decided that this crusade would be like his story to how he became like an Archmagos. Uh, so it's basically just him running around with a load of other Admech people, uh, 
pinching like old artifacts and and ancient knowledge um and trying to become sort of like you know trying to just absorb as much knowledge as possible for when he goes back to riser to to you know be a, a big wig so he's he's a career archaeologist yeah pretty much uh, so with that in mind, I have set myself a crusade goal initially, uh, which is to acquire five crusade relics. Uh, which from is, what I uh, gather, that, that's been going pretty well. So uh, far. I, I do currently have two out of those five, um, but I think it, I think it will start getting harder and harder uh, because you can only take crusade relics on a, on a character, uh, and the easiest way to get them is for your characters to level up. Uh, and I'm running out of characters to level up quickly. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, you you can level up quite quickly to the bloodied level, with the uh, the bloodied level. But then the next level is uh, like more XP, and the next one after that is even more XP. So it will, I think, it will slow down a bit my uh, progression there. What's going to be um, quite cool about that though is because you can take multiple crusade relics on a single character yes you're going to end up with like you say a ridiculously tooled up sort of admec um i'm hoping so dominus. i think that'd be like he's going to feel like he's dripping with archaeotech it'd be very thematic anyway that he's going to be covered in old stuff that just does all sorts of weird things um but uh, it seems any... like a giant magnet <laughs> <laughs> it kind of suits the model as well cuz like all the Admech models are just covered in old, weird stuff, aren't they? Uh, and, oh, yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and he's a custom-converted one to be extra big and and different, so uh, so he, he kind of stands out a bit. So <laughs> he, He's an advocate of the Big Hat Club, isn't he? Oh, definitely. Big Hat is boss. That's the rules. <laughs> um, so how have you been finding sort of experience of crusade for your force as a whole what whilst the uh, the leaders are busy trying to make themselves rich off stc fragments and such like what's the uh, what's the wider force been sort of experiencing so far for crusade? Uh, i mean i guess uh the the most experience they've had is being shot at it's probably fair <laughs> um <laughs> the, uh I'll, I'll not go into too much detail about the first two games um but the the first one we played, uh, it was called the Supply Cache, um, and it's basically a, a pretty standard. There's four uh, objectives, and you have to hold them for points, and then the winner uh, will get an extra requisition point at the end, which is nice. Um, and I, uh, all my Admech forces were destroyed in that game, uh, <laughs> so uh, it's a good start. Um, I did get a, a nice little moment at the end because I picked the agenda to search for Archaeotech because that seemed appropriate. Uh, and my last model on the board managed to complete that. And he was a um, a, a uh, Cybernetica datasmith. Uh, and as such, he earned enough experience with that and the um, mark for greatness that I gave him that he could level up. And as such, he took a crusade relic because he just dug it out of the ground. So that seemed fair to me. Uh, so he he now has the, I think it's called the Laurels of Command, and it gives me an extra two command points when he's playing. Uh, but if he dies, I lose those two command points. So spend them early. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then the second game, I also played the Relic, uh, also against the Emperor's Children. Um, and that game was a lot closer. We had a lot of back to forth fighting over the Relic in the middle. It was quite fun. We had a big, you know, big clash in the middle, and I took down his Demon Prince, who is his, you know, his big boss, um, uh, with a lot of shooting. Uh, and made a bit of a game of it, but in the end, uh, uh, all my admin got killed again. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> a, yeah, a similar sort of experience. And at the end, I just had my warlord running away, trying to survive. Um, just sending his underlings to go yeah, find just, him some bitches. Yeah, just grab that relic. I'm going to hide over here. Um, but he eventually got shot in the back by Terminators. So uh, that was that. Well, I think it's fair to say then that you were due a good game by the time it came. Yeah, to with the yeah. So, so one good thing that came out of that second game is I, uh, my, um, uh, my Castellan robots performed admirably, punching lots of things. The uh, Manipal eight hundred one, the fists of reverence, as they are known, uh, two robots with the fists, which is not a common option, obviously. Um, but they did, were pretty I punchy. It is definitely the <laughs> coolest option, uh, and they they managed to get a, um, an upgrade, uh, and it's called enhanced shielding. I think the one I rolled for, uh, and it basically gives them plus one to their armor save when they're being shot at with AP dash or AP minus one weapons, which, uh, as we found out, was really good. <laughs> yeah, because basically, what it is is um, they ignore. Uh, is it they ignore AP minus one? They get no, they get uh, you're right, they get plus one yeah. to the save, don't so they? Against they, zero and the minus one, yeah, they effectively ignore AP minus one and they get plus one against nothing, right? Um, yeah, and combined with the various special rules they get, if you, I don't know if you, if anyone's familiar with Abmech, uh, there's the shrouds arm to make them count as in cover on, on one turn, one of the canticles, uh, and they start in the Aegis protocol, which gives them plus one to their armor saves anyway which you can switch out to make them fight twice or shoot twice or whatever. Uh, so they can, they, they kind of stacks up and they get really, really hard. Yeah, basically, unless I was hitting them with a power claw, they were on a two plus save, weren't they? Pretty much. And if I was hitting them with a power claw, I was on ones on my dice. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, as, as alluded to, we had the clash of, uh, uh, Admech versus Orcs, uh, and we were fighting uh, over a ritual, um, which I think we decided was uh, some sort of STC construct or fragment yeah, of well, data. We rolled, up, um, we rolled up the ritual as the mission, which we're like, right, well, between the Admech and the Orcs, which one is most likely to be engaging in some kind of ritualistic behavior? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so we figured we'll make the Admech the defenders here. Well, what would they be performing a ritual over? Well, it's going to be a piece of technology, isn't it? Of course. So it is. I've got these um, these like crashed craters from um, the original Planet Strike um, set, and one of them is like a crash satellite, which I've it's got like um, a flat disk space on the top of the hull, which I've painted as like a, a radar dish effect. So clearly, it's some important piece of technology in this down satellite that you were trying to perform the correct rights of data extraction so that you didn't accidentally uh, forget to press eject when taking the information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> error and that was clearly going to take you five battle rounds to a do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and, uh, 
my ox did not want that to happen because they wanted the dead shiny thing for themselves. Yeah, and and all my vehicles as well. I think they wanted. Yeah, so like obviously we talked about um, picking agendas and stuff um, when you play a crusade mission and one of mine for this game and probably for most of my games with my dev skulls was priority target um, which is for destroying enemy vehicles um, I think vehicles and monsters I can't remember but um, point is from, from my narrative as it were my force wants to be looting enemy vehicles so I was like well there's some there's a big um is it the Doom Strider or Dustwalker? Uh, I can't remember it, what it is. The Onika Dune Crawler. Dune Crawler, yes, yeah, so the big walkie tank and then your big punchy robots. Yes. It's like, well they look ripe for scrapping and looting. Um so I was like, I'm gonna take that as my one of my agendas, smash up big vehicles, turn them into orky vehicles. <laughs> Yeah, so and that is exactly what my war boss headed straight off to try and do. Uh, and it did not go well for him. No, um, he kind of got uh, he he scratched some paintwork slightly, and then got punched in the face by a giant orange robot. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Like having got shot up by the um, the Dune Strider and stuff, um, I actually had a couple of battered vehicles and had some orc boys that tumbled out of a truck to be set upon by the uh, rust stalkers or whatever they were um but the outcome of it all was that i did get myself in a position to have my mega armored big mech boss make this charge on these castellan robots and there was a fair assumption that i was probably going to kill at least one of them and therefore hopefully survive the crackback from the second one and um Despite having five attacks, hitting on freeze with a reroll, and hitting on freeze with a reroll, and doing D3 damage with a reroll, and it'd been one damage to one robot. Yep. It wasn't even close. (laughs) It it was. was, I think I I got two hits. uh, I think I got like two hits, one wound, which actually got past your invun, and then I rolled like one damage, which I rerolled into one damage. And he was just like, uh, so yep. inevitably both these robots punched my war boss back and um they I think they killed him to the wound, didn't they? Yeah, I think um, it was uh pretty um I think I passed a couple of saves and stuff, but I think he killed him to the wound and I couldn't do anything about it because I yeah. think it had to burn. I think I, I think if I used a reroll it wasn't gonna be enough, he was still gonna be dead, sort of thing. Didn't you uh, then spend CP to make him fight when he died? I did, because Orcs is never beaten, and I thought, right, well, if he's going to go down, he's one of my main ways I was going to try and punch through these robots and then strike straight at your warlord trying to conduct this ritual. So I thought, it's going to be two CP well spent, I've done some damage to this robot now, I should at least, at the bare minimum, kill the first robot, and if I, an average, probably do a good chunk of damage to the second one. And then maybe the horde of orc boys that are also clambering on them can finish it off. And then having swung again with another five attacks and more rerolls, I did zero damage to the <laughs> two robots. That's yep. very impressive. It was. And you surely have to work quite hard to do that. Yeah, I did. I think <laughs> I ended up causing two successful wound rolls in the end, and then you passed both your inbuns. I think is what oh, happened. Yeah, that sounds about right. 
um, which meant that collectively from both shooting and melee and fighting twice, I think I'd done a total of two wounds to one of the robots, which yeah, in your I, turn... I can't healed. remember. Yeah, yeah, I healed a bunch of them as well. So I, I can't remember how many they did at that stage, but I definitely had like back much. to full afterwards or near enough. Uh, and legit, that basically just blunted my entire assault for the rest of the yeah. game because... I just, these robots were then just starting to wade their way through the Orc boys with the help yep. of the Rust Orcas. Oh, yeah, the, the Rust Orcas. I had basically no offensive power left. So anyone who, who plays Admech probably knows that Rust Orcas are like one of the worst units in the game. Um, but on this game, they uh, they performed. I was like, oh, it's Crusade. I'll take the Rust Orcas, give them a go. Uh, and it turns out they really like killing Orcs. Because they killed loads of them. Are you, finding that, are you finding that you're just taking units, you just go, oh, they're actually a lot better than I thought they would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, well, they were for a start. They were they were so yeah. impressive from my very low standards of them uh, that I gave them the mark for greatness for that game. Yeah, which they definitely were. I mean, it, honestly, it even felt like they were kind of doing their job of being like stealth forward operatives because we played using the um, uh, the Forest World battles yeah. from Tiger of the Beast. So obviously we were playing on my Death World board, and we thought, well, you know, it'd be good to play with some actual like forest rules. And I, I suggested them in advance to you as the Admech player because the, one of the key components of the battle zone was that it limited firing at non-vehicle units and non-vehicle non-monsters was, over 18 yeah, inches. Yeah, infantry and swarms, I think it is, isn't it? But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, infantry swarms and beasts, okay. I think, um, could not be the target of ranged attacks if they were over 18 inches away from the firing model. And if they themselves had not advanced or shot yeah. in the previous turn, because basically if you're running through the forest or you're firing your weapons, you're giving your position away. Yeah. Um, so I thought, hmm, well, I'm going to be playing against Admech, who are probably primarily a ranged army, and I'm playing as Orcs, who are primarily a combat army. Is this battle zone going to favor one player more than the other? Ha-ha. Actually... <laughs> It probably favoured me <laughs> more. Playing it, out. it probably did, yes. Because all, all your stuff was in vehicles. <laughs> well, yeah, because I play like mechanised yeah. orcs. So, you know, the actual vehicles themselves were, you know, they were not obscured. The idea would be once the orcs got out, they wouldn't be so obvious a targets to some of your more distant units. But obviously by the time they're getting out, they're typically in 18 inches anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and me being orcs and having been the first time using this battle zone, the amount of times I just chose to sporadically fire like grenades or pistols or yeah. shots that basically were just opportunity bullets that don't really do much as orcs. They just the couldn't help themselves. They just, just couldn't help to. themselves yeah. and keep forgetting the fact that they keep giving their position away. <laughs> <laughs> Very orky. Like, for example, my abysmal um, mega knobs in that game. Yeah, they were unfortunate. <laughs> Yeah, so I had them on the teleport strike. So they start off the board. Okay, cool. The plan being that they're going to try and find an opportunity to wreck up some of your breaches or some of your uh, go for your uh, your Dune Strider, possibly. And at the end of my turn two, 
they deep striked onto the board and they were hoping to charge into your breaches that were engaged in the big melee in the center of the board mm -hmm. where my war boss was about to spectacularly fail at, at punching robots. <laughs> um, and they failed their um, nine-inch charge to get in and failed it on the here-we-go re-roll that orcs get. Yep. So stood there being lemons. And because I was expecting them to be in combat, I'd totally forgotten that when they showed up, I decided to fire their custom shoes into um, the breaches just for the fun of trying to get some extra wounds on them. And because I wasn't then in combat, I was in the corner of the board, and we fought, that meant I was going to be obscured because I wasn't really within 18 inches of any of your units that had big, scary guns. And then we realized, oh, yeah. I shot at those breaches, didn't I? <laughs> Just to try and put and I gave my position away. And then all of a sudden, these plasma decimators turned around. <laughs> yeah. I realized there were a bunch of orcs hanging in these woods and uh, just lit them up. Yeah. I I'm going to be honest, mate. That's so orky. I know, right? <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> it's like. <laughs> oh, we had to yell and announce where they were. We're trying to be stealthy Shh, and off. We're being our really quiet. Shush. Clank, clank, clank. Here's. Here's the real kicker, though. The only reason they shot the breaches was because they couldn't shoot the rust stalkers because the rust stalkers were over 18 inches away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, they thought about wanting to shoot these rust stalkers, and they're like, "Oh wait, did Damn they it. actually? Did they shoot last turn?" It's like, "Oh, they don't have guns. Nope. Or they didn't use any. And they um, didn't advance because they, like, they charged. Oh, did they advance? No, because they just charged these orcs that had piled out of this truck, and it's like." Oh, turns out stealthily advancing through the undergrowth and slitting orc throats, yeah, uh, throats, throats, is actually quite a quiet affair when yeah. done correctly. They uh, they were in their element, which, which is so, rare. Yeah, my my orcs were literally just like <laughs> bulldozing down trees. Um and <laughs> firing wildly into the foliage, just announcing where they were, while um the admech were sort of keeping down undercover and only firing um close range volleys at targets that would have been able to see them anyway. So yep. it actually worked very well in favour of the uh, Mechanicum, and I think in future, um Zardreg might possibly be listening to some local blood axe bosses for some uh, <laughs> suggestions on how best to handle the forest world in future. Yeah, sounds about right. Uh so yeah, that it was a fun scenario. Um we haven't really talked much that much about it. Obviously there's a there was a central objective and several small little, little objectives that you could get points for holding. Um but the defender got extra points if they did an action with their warlord on the central objective that was the relic, right? Or the the ritual. Yeah. Uh and the attacker which was you would get additional points if you killed my warlord. So there was this quite yeah. a sort of like um, it's an interesting trade off because obviously when you do uh, actions in ninth edition, you lose your aura abilities uh, and you you can't do it if you advance and you can then you can't shoot or charge or anything like that. So my warlord was basically like, I'm just going to stand here and do nothing all game to get points and hope I don't die. While the rest of the army just like built a wall around him to stop you getting to him. Uh, and it, it nearly worked. I mean, it, it worked, but uh, you kind of broke through the wall at the end uh, in quite yeah, spectacular no, fashion. In quite spectacular. I more ramped my way over the wall. 
<laughs> broke through it. So this was one of the other things that we found that was actually really nice about playing a Crusader game was because you'd had three uninterrupted turns of performing the ritual, and yep. by this point, my main spearhead attack to try and reach your warlord, even just to yep. disrupt him for a turn or two, had completely just fallen apart in the face of these unkillable castle and robots. It, it was pretty clear that the outcome of the game was going to be that the Admech were going to win. Yes. But being Crusade, it was like, right, well, all that ultimately is going to mean is that the Admech are going to get to choose a bonus Crusade relic to apply to the Warlord at the end of this game. Like, that is the victory reward for this mission. So, like, okay, fine. But that doesn't really stop me from still being able to try and achieve my agendas and gain experience for my units. So even though it was turn three and I basically just had handfuls of surviving orcs and then what turned out to be the most glorious scrapjet pilot ever. Yes. (laughs) What a boss. um, There was still a lot of fun to be had. So at this point, it was the start of my turn three, and I'd held my Megatrack Scrapjet in strategic reserve because he didn't fancy facing down some neutron lasers when vehicles were the only viable targets in the opening turns of the game. It was not going to go well for him. So at this point, he arrives from reserve, and we got to play around with one of the fun new quirks of 9th edition, didn't we? Mm-hmm which was the fact that he arrived on my own board edge in my own deployment zone right next to one of your units. Yeah, you don't have to be more than nine inches away if they're in your deployment zone. In fact, if I wanted, I could have appeared within one inch of you and immediately been in engagement range. But because I'm a a scrapjet slash speed buggy vehicle, I actually get some advantages from committing to a charge. So... I was promptly yep. two inches away from you. <laughs> yeah, so that was my uh, Taraxi sterilizers who dropped in far into your edge to kill a truck that already got killed by something else by the time it turned up to their shooting phase. So they so far had done nothing, uh, and then they got rammed by a scrapjet uh, and and died. Yeah, so he, he spent his his and your turn free. He basically, he showed up, shot them a bit, charged them a bit, yep. and by the end of your turn free, they'd been killed off. And that was when he was basically the only thing I had left on the board. You had these castle and robots basically stood in the centre of the board, having just cleared out all the orcs that were piling on them. And then you had your Dune Strider, um, more or less undamaged, stood nearby your warlord just watching the ritual and surveying it. Yeah. It seemed like a pretty, you know, dominated battlefield at this point, and there wasn't really going to be much threat to that relic or to the warlord. Or saw you or so you fought. <laughs> because I was like, hmm. The other fun thing that was nice about this um was it was being the first game of Night Edition. It was also my first experience of the gradual trickle of command points you get as the turns go on. So going into my turn four, I actually found myself with, I can't remember the exact number, it was either like three or four command points, um, which was just enough to try and pull off some real funny manoeuvring with this scrapjet. Yeah. (laughs) So what I ended up doing was, I think I worked out he covered about close to 40 inches of movement across the board (laughs) in one turn. It was ridiculous. So... He's movement 10 anyway. 
so he's, he basically sped 10 inches up the board from my deployment zone where he was um, to be probably about six or seven inches away from your robots, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, I think he was even closer than that. He was right next to them. Yeah. In my shooting phase, he opened up with all the various rockets and, you know, pretty anti-armor weaponry he's armed with at the Dune Strider, which at this point in time is about 14, 16 inches away. Uh, um, yeah. It'd be about that, because uh, as you'll see in a minute, it was sort of like just over about a charge and a half's distance away. <laughs> um, And I did probably, I think, about six or seven wounds or so to it, didn't I? I probably took about a third of its health off with these rockets. Uh, yeah, it looks like it, it got brought down to seven wounds. Yeah. Um, I was like, cool, great. Now, because at this stage, the Castellans had taken a little bit of a beating yeah. gradually through 30 orcs, a war boss, a big mech, a battle wagon, and many other things, I'd managed, through some glorious, terrible luck, managed to drag one robot down to a single wound. But not dead. Just one of them was on one wound. So I decided to charge it with a scrapjet, who has an inbuilt ability to cause mortal wounds when he charges on a 4+. Mm -hmm. So I uh, rolled my charge distance, Yerkul made it in, which meant I covered this sort of 6-7 inch gap. Placed him so that he was in base contact with just the one um, wounded robot, and I've done like, you know, that Three point turn to sort of be in the rear of the robot with my truck. Um, and I roll a four plus on the mortal wounds. So I roll it. I think I rolled three mortal wounds, although it didn't really matter. I just needed the one. So I killed this injured robot and did two wounds to the other one. Which meant that I was now, after completing my charge move, over an inch away from any other enemy models. Which meant I got to use that glorious new stratagem from Sagra the Beast called uh, like Unstoppable Momentum, where if a charging orc unit finds itself in base contact with no enemy models after completing a charge, it can charge again. So oh. it then rolled for what it needed to be. I think it was like a 10-inch charge or something, wasn't it, to reach the Dune Strider? Uh, yeah, you got a, a really big charge and went all, kind of all the way around the other side of it. Yes, yeah, so I completed. Yeah, I think I rolled like an eleven or something on its second charge roll, and it basically the scrapjet then just like three sixty again, carrying itself as it must have like just clipped this robot of its rear uh, fuselage as it's gone by, <laughs> knocking it <laughs> over. Um, kicked it into turbo and charged again into the Strider. Came around the rear of the Strider, <laughs> so at this point now it's covered about. 30 inches plus of the board in sort of like three movements inflicted another d3 wounds on the strider on that successful charge and then when it actually resolved its combat attacks because of the strength 8 d3 damage drilled it has it smashed a dune strider to pieces didn't it and just went straight yep. through it <laughs> which then meant it got to consolidate three inches towards the nearest enemy model which, lo and behold, was the warlord on the relic performing the ritual. Yes, he had a bit of a fright there. He was like, well, there's no orcs anywhere near me. Whoa! What's this? Burning, flying torpedo of a scrapjet just bursts through his uh, personal dune strider yeah. and almost flattened. 
I and mean, as glorious as that was, at which point then the very sensibly and calculatingly minded Mechanicum decided to just step back and order all his remaining yeah. military forces to bring every gun to bear on this one orc in his contraption. Yeah, and and he got blown to bits. So, it's... three guesses who I give my most valuable uh, or marked for glory yeah. um, points to. Yeah, he he definitely went out in a blaze of glory in that game. Yeah, he did, and um, he ended up being both my um, my only unit to level up and one of two units to suffer a battle scar in that yeah. same game as a result, which seemed uh, seemed quite appropriate given his uh, his end. So he got nuked by the yeah. end of it. <laughs> what uh, what battle scar did he end up with? Uh, so, being the first game. It was very tempting to opt to just go for no experience, which is what I did with the big unit of Orc boys. Um, it was their first game. They also had to take a battle scar, some fight no XP. But this Scrapjet had earned like six or seven XP as a result yeah. because he also got my only um, agenda points for priority target destroyed because he was the only thing that destroyed enemy vehicles. Yeah, <laughs> so he was leveling up if you if you took the battle scar. So, so you I did. Thought, yeah, I thought, yeah, I will. That'll be cool. So we'll see what happens to this scrapjet. See just how scrappy it is. And in the end, um, as his battle honor, I rolled randomly for a weapon upgrade that felt appropriate for his melee weapon, since he just smashed his way through all these things in combat. Yep. And um, his nose cone ended up getting a plus one damage. Nice. Which means he now has a D3 plus one damage um, like melee weapon now on the scrapjet, which is awesome. Is that because he's got bits of robots sticking out the front? Yeah, probably. Just like pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the downside is that the battle scary rolled was weakened armor, which meant that whenever he takes a hit, not even a wound, just a hit from a strength eight or higher weapon, he automatically suffers a mortal wound in addition to whatever other damage. Ouch. <laughs> So yeah, he really is a, a like a lightweight um, scrap jet now, real light chassis. It's basically built for speed and damage, but it can't take a hit. Yep. Um, which came into effect in uh, my second game when I played against the Tyranids, and these Hive Guard were basically firing their strength eight um, oh. cannons at it. Ow! And um, yeah, it's funny. The first time they were in range, they did two extra mortal wounds to it, which my big mechadem repaired. And then later on in the game, when they got a second volley on the scrap jet, they did blow it apart because of the weakened armor. But it was very much in like the tail end of the game at that point, and it didn't really matter. But he's still got it at the moment as a battle scar <laughs> because... Can't decide whether or not I want to spend the requisition repairing That's it or the thing, not. Thing isn't it? It's it's they're not not easy to come by those re- requisition points. Um, yeah, especially if you're saving you them go... up for something big. Yeah, yeah, especially when, for example, I'm looking at adding the mega track uh, team. That's right, the Death Killer War Trike to the list. But he's a fair few bits of requisition investment because he's power level seven which means that I need to at least have 10 power level spare in my power rating to be able to add him to the list. So that's two requisition points. Yeah. If I just want to straight bolt him onto the current list. And three, because he's going to be my only um, war trike, I also want to give him the Gork's raw custom job to give him the basically fancier killer jet. 
but that's a unit upgrade stratagem, which means I have to spend it when I add the unit to the order of battle. Yep. So that's a third requisition that I need to be able to add him on. Because if I want to give him a Lola trait or a relic, I can do that at a later date for a requisition. But I can't upgrade him with his custom job at a later date. Mm. So he's he's a little bit of an upfront investment, but he's also going to be fun. So, and if maybe it means the scrapjet has to stay a little scrappier for one uh, more game, then I might do it. So you say he's quite an upfront uh, investment. Um, my uh, my Admech Force, I've I've upgraded to eighty power level now. Uh, overall, Ooh, nice. um, and I've kind of gone through all. Of, I I don't actually have that many models for my Admech Force. It's kind of a a combined force with my Imperial Knights. And I've kind of gone through all my cheap stuff now. So I, I need a lot more acquisition to get something like a knight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really want to have my Valiant in there. <laughs> but uh, that's it. I, I think I worked out I need to like play like seven more games to be able to afford it if I don't drop anything. So uh, you've got to save up. Yeah, I mean... I thought when I was first reading the sort of rules of how you'll progress, I was like, oh, it feels like it might take you a while to build up to a decent sized force. But in truth, every game, and to be honest, every requisition point you earn is kind of the equivalent of an extra 50 points. Yeah. So it's not actually that bad. Like, no, it, yeah. you do rack them up quite quick. Yeah, like two requisition will probably buy you most small to mid units. And three to four will buy you pretty much anything. You know, anything two hundred points or less is you know no more than four requisition um, as an estimate. And obviously, that's working on points rather than power level. But I think it, you'd actually rack it up quite quickly, especially if you're in a position where you're playing a, like a game every week. You know, yeah, you're talking adding a thousand points in a, um, not a thousand points in a month, like two fifty in a month. So if you look at running your crusade at your local club over, say, six months, then you're going to easily be at 3,000-point armies by the end of that six months. Yeah, it is interesting to to think, what's this army going to look like if I'm still playing it in six months or a year or whatever? Mm. It's going to be quite impressive. I must admit, I'm planning this for the whole edition. This is going on. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens at the end. But... It, as I said, it, it it's giving me a background to an army I already own, so it's quite nice to be actually retrospectively at the uh, at the background to it. Yeah, same. It's uh... yeah, um, I've I've been really enjoying that as well. Like, so for example, um, in the second game that I played against the Tyranids, um, I tr- because there were no vehicles to destroy. Um, I felt that the next best thing that Zagdrag could do was ensure that his current vehicles and his personal prized battle wagon survived that battle. You know, they were kept in good condition and they, they'd be ready for, um, you know, thumping and scrapping other vehicles when they next found some. So I took the survivor agenda for my battle wagon. Um, ah. And it, it was really funny because I think... It got repaired every single game turn by either <laughs> Big Mac or Zagdrag himself. So even though it had Gene Stealers crawl like crawling all over it at some point, um, it was surprisingly apt at killing them because <laughs> it never ended up being degraded, which meant that even in combat with them as an orc vehicle, 
it was getting like six attacks hit on fives of a reroll, yeah. which meant it was usually getting two to three hits. But then it hits them at strength eight, so it's wounding them on twos, and Steelers only have a five plus save. <laughs> so it was kind of like slowly smushing bugs like to a turn. Nice. <laughs> Presumably, plus um, the ones it was shooting. Yeah, yeah, plus the zag zap, which is obviously frying a couple of bugs every time. Um, <laughs> I think it fired it eight times that game, and it always came up champ six or seven. It never came up as nice. nine plus, but it, it still did plenty yeah. of work. It's enough um, for gene stealers. Yeah, and um, by the end of that game, because of the survivor bonus, where if you if it survives the battle, it gets two XP. Yeah. If it survives the battle with 50% or more of its wounds remaining, it gets 4 XP. Yes. And because it, it was on full wounds because it had just been repairing all game. Yeah, it's a big <laughs> chunk, that. Yeah, it got 4 XP and it got a level up. And I thought, right, well, one theme I've decided to go with with my upgrades, my orcs, is trying to go with as much customized weaponry as possible so every unit feels like it's got its own personal you know, custom jobs from the mech. So going for weapon advancements. Yeah, that checks out. Right. So yeah, so that one boom Dakistan's wagon feels completely different to the next one because it's, me- it's mech special. It's has got, extra um, special. It's extra special because yeah. that one's got like an extra AP or the other one's got an auto loader or whatever, you know. I was like, hmm, that would be fun to do on my battle wagon, but Zagzap's a pretty unique weapon and it, Half the upgrades for it feel either broken, and the other half feel like they do nothing because they revolve around the hit roll. Yeah, it's, it a, roll it's a very uh, unusual weapon. So I thought, I'm not going to actually modify that. The fact it's got Zag Zap as a custom weapon feels custom enough. Yeah. I'm really tempted to give it a melee weapon upgrade as a tank. Yes! <laughs> I would have done, except for the fact that, again, it feels weird because it doesn't actually have a melee weapon. Unlike, say, the Scrapjet that has the nose drill is its actual weapon, um, the Battle Wagon and, like, the Boom Decker Snaz and stuff, they don't actually have a melee weapon. They literally just punch you with their profile, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm. So I was like, it doesn't feel like it actually has a melee weapon to upgrade. So I just went, sod it. I'll just roll for a random upgrade on the um, vehicle upgrades. Yep. It just feels like that'll be appropriate for the Iron Hide. It's just going to have all its unique custom things probably stapled on by Zagdrag himself. And uh, he rolled up the enhanced shielding roll. Oh, nice. So I've now got a, a gun wagon that um, gets plus one to its armor save yeah. against AP nothing and AP minus one. Yeah, practically so invincible arms. Which, even though I rolled it up, felt entirely appropriate for its reward yeah. for the survivor agenda. So uh, I, in our game, I also had the survivor agenda, but it was on my Warlord because I reasoned that... Uh, he would have to survive to complete the ritual, so he would. She sh- that should be his agenda to survive, right? Uh, so that yes, gave him uh, because he didn't get touched apart from like some dust from a, a scrap jet. Uh, he um, he got the full four, which meant uh, with whatever else he got, he managed to uh, to level up as well. So he actually got he got a, a thing for winning and a thing for experience he actually got two things two upgrades in that game uh, which is pretty cool and uh, he he picked out the inspiring leader trait uh, I think it's called which is a plus one leadership bubble and lets him heroically intervene six inches which nice. is pretty cool uh, that was a rolled for one and then he also picked a, a crusade relic because of course he did 
uh, and I pick the Displacer field, uh, which is a four-up invulnerable save that if you're in melee with someone and you roll a six on the save, it does a mortal wound out to them, which is pretty nice. cool. So, which I think was a really yeah. fun thing to find on a satellite. Yeah. Imagine that satellite having a displacer field, so every time an asteroid came near it, it just teleported somewhere to avoid being hit. Seems legit. Um, and then in my second game, um, I actually won that game against the Nids, and it was say it was the breakthrough mission. So we're trying to get units to escape off each other's table edge, and in the end. The only thing that came close for the Nids was um, a full swarm of Rippers <laughs> until Zagdreg walked over and decided to barbecue them all in one round of his Scorcher. Nice. Um, they came very close. And on my side, it took until turn five to get there, but my big foot-slogging unit of Orc boys <laughs> actually eventually made it across. <laughs> nice. They had to claw their way through a Trigon and a unit of Termagons and brave smites from a Neuronthrope, but they got there. And the reward for that mission was um, any any of the units that managed to escape the table edge, um, any one of them I could pick and just give them a battle honor. So I was like, all right, well, the mob of boys are the only ones that can get this, so they're going to get it, sure. And again, sort of like discussing it with my opponent at the time, it's all these things where, as it's the reward for the mission, it does specify I can pick. But again, if you feel like rolling, if nothing jumps out as obvious, then they'd probably roll for it. However, because they'd foot slogged it across this entire four foot board, I felt like the most appropriate battle arm to give them was Fleet of Foot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, yeah, that makes sense. So that that yeah, that that mob of orc boys now has plus one to move charge and advance. Which is brilliant. And it's not only really useful for them as a unit, but also it just makes so much sense for the mission yeah. they achieved. Well, it's, it's like they spent the whole mission um, running on their feet, so they, they really, bought better boots. They got really big calf muscles. Yeah. <laughs> Gains. And it's funny now how, because of that, I'm tempted to change up my strategies in the future, and maybe they won't be jumping in the iron hides often, and instead Zagdrank will be riding with his mega knobs. And instead, they'll be jumping on the teleporter because they'll be really good at making Ooh, that surprise yeah. ambush charge now because they'll only need to make eight inches with Here We Go. They're basically evil sons. Boys. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And once they're out and on the table, they've got that movement to a little bit of extra movement to get where they need to be. Nice. Um, so it, it's funny how getting those upgrades and those advancements might actually inform decisions about how you're going to use those units in future games that you might not otherwise have done. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Orcs orcs don't skip leg day. <laughs> no, they don't. So yeah, like I think and that's just a really good sort of roundup of where we are at at the moment with our crusades and you know some of the early games we've been playing and i think most of us we've all had to either two or three games each yeah you know? so so yeah. you two both had two and I've had, I've had three uh so yeah, between us we've well. had five because one of them was the same one right oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's true uh um, but yeah they i'm i'm assuming they were all great games um and all had a little bit of extra extra spice 
beyond what you get from a kind of classic match play game. Oh yeah, it definitely scratches the uh, the campaign slash narrative itch that I've yeah. been missing for a while. That yeah, that that little thing that you got from before. like Necromunda or Mordheim or whatever. Yeah, that, that's exactly that. what I was about to say. Oblable, like yeah, it just brings that aspect of like you say Necromunda, Mordheim, Blood Bowl, that that progression, that individualism to your team or your warband. It brings it to forty k. And more so beyond just your collection of models, it actually is your force on the tabletop, and it's brilliant. And as I think we'll discuss now, that it looks like Crusade is going to be a completely different beast six months from now because of everything that like, Games Workshop is going to be doing to support it moving forwards. So in the last couple of days... The community page has really been giving us an insight into what Crusade is going to look like with the advent of the new codexes for Necrons and Space Marines, and it looks cool. And that's not even to mention the um, Pariah Nexus Crusade book that's just got on pre-order this last weekend. <laughs> like, I think we'll probably have a closer look at that maybe in the next episode because I might have a copy of it by then. Ooh. But just looking at it from the perspective of these codexes moving forwards. Um, like, what are the stuff they've previewed has really taken your eyes, guys? I th- I think all the progression stuff where you there's a lot of um, requisition point sort of I don't know what you call them like stratagem type things where you you replace a unit with a new unit type thing. So there's one I've seen where you replace you can replace your sort of um, Firstborn Marine with a Primaris, they go through the Rubicon. Oh, oh yeah, there's a chance I might die. Was... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was brilliant, that wasn't it? I thought that's such a clever and obvious thing to do, but like I would never have thought about it. They've actually made crossing the Rubicon an actual stratagem or requ- like you say, requisition um, option. I, I I love the fact there's a chance that that he could die as well. Yeah, I, I, it's like yeah, you can upgrade him too. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like one, one requisition you choose it, a captain, librarian, chaplain, apothecary, ancient, or tech marine, basically any um, firstborn character. Uh, from a crusade force that does not have the Primaris keyword, and roll a d6. On a one, that unit is removed from your order of battle. <laughs> See, now here's an interesting thought. I don't know the wording on it, but could you then combine that if you did roll a one and then put them in a dreadnought afterwards? <laughs> hmm. as written i don't believe be so because i think the, yeah. the upgrade stratagem for the dreadnought is based on gaining battle scars. Gaining battle scars yeah oh that's that a pretty big scar <laughs> yeah <laughs> we, 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 yeah oops we we did a bad thing <laughs> I'd, I'd have no problem with someone interning him it would be funny though is if you interned him in a regular dreadnought and not a redemptor he's got so he thought he was crossing the rubicon but he didn't dreadnought envy it's like I want to be in a redemptor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the idea that um, if you roll a two plus, um, it says that then you know basically they gain the primaris keyword and become the equivalent data sheet for you know instead of a captain, you're a primaris captain, um, and you keep all your current ranks and battle honors and battle scars and apply them to the new data sheet unless it's something that physically couldn't be applied, such as a weapon upgrade to a weapon that a primaris option couldn't, couldn't take. Pay, yeah. In which case, you get to basically refund that battle honor and pick a new one, which I think is interesting because a couple of the ones that have 
shown physical transformations, so stuff like the space ring captain into a dreadnought, or interestingly, the Necron overlord into a destroyer lord. Yeah, that's um, cool. It kind of resets the options that you have. It then gives you an equivalent, like, refresh to pick new ones. Yeah. Because I'm guessing some um, of them wouldn't apply anymore, right? Yeah, I, I assume it's because some of it will be a bit wonky. I mean, for example, in one case, you're going from being a character model to a vehicle model. <laughs> I think that should be becoming a dreadnought. Yeah, so the, the character um, is not applicable, I would assume. I think the the Primaris one specifically says, though, that you, you keep the same upgrades where possible. Yeah, because pretty cool. the majority should be possible to keep. Yeah. Um, I, I, as a, a little thought on that, I think it's quite interesting that that has become um, quite not that long ago. People were saying, "Where did all these Primaris Marines come from? Can you turn regular Marines into Primaris Marines?" It was like a big mystery, and then they started revealing Primarisized character models uh, of like the special characters, and people got all excited about it. Uh, and now it's it's a thing you can actually do in the game. Like there's rules for it. It's it's kind of mad that there's this little sort of a little bit of background that that wasn't there at the start when Primaris first came along and people were all wondering about it and, and sort of like there was a lot of discussion about it and now it's it's definitely a thing and it's so much of a thing that there is a rule for it in your in your crusade games if you want. I'd, I think it's funny that obviously Games Workshop's like production of everything is roughly you know three to four years ahead of yeah you know what the consumers are seeing, and three to four years ago was the release of Eighth Edition and the Primaris, and it's funny that it's taken this sort of long now for it to trickle to us to sort of see the full picture of where the Primaris have gone and what they are and. It really makes me wonder whether or not in another four years' time there even will be mini marines. Mm. I wonder if that sort of timeline we're going to see with them. But that's a contentious issue, that... isn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> a whole nother podcast, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting to see that clearly there is this level of a plan to it that is now becoming more apparent to us these days. Mm. Yeah. Um, like some of the cool little stuff in here, there's. Um, some of the unique battle traits of Space Marines. He talked about Terminator honors. Like I remember when I think that was like a war gear upgrade back in like third edition. edition Space yeah, third edition. You I remember that one? Yeah. Yeah, and like this is you know you select a model in the unit basically with a champion or sergeant, and they get plus one attack and leadership, and um, wounds as well. Yeah, so you have like your cool. two sergeant because basically he's. He's a Terminator, but his current posting is as a sergeant for a unit. Yeah, I think they've done an amazing one with the the Marine sort of ones because they follow so much. They've gone to town with them. So the one that sticks out for me along the same line is the Marksman's Honor, which if you look in the background, that's basically um, you get given a, a, it's like a bullet. It's a bolt round. It's like it's one of the medals that you they can get, and it is the marksman's honor, and it's just because you're good at shooting, and it's just like that's cool. And I'm hoping I haven't seen it in the previews, but I'm hoping they put service studs in there as well, which would be oh, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, service yeah. studs. Um, but uh, I, I think they've done a really blinding job in matching the fluff to the actual rules in sort of a very hyper detailed way, but without it becoming too silly. 
if that makes it like yeah it's usually a little, a little thing that's not too massively problematic um and doesn't change the game too much yeah it's it's like, the kind of thing say... sorry no, uh, it's the kind <laughs> of thing that largely you can if you're playing like a match play game with the same models you can forget they've got it because like it doesn't make that much of a difference mm. like, yeah it's not ha- fundamental having said that the uh work. The marksman's honor is quite good. <laughs> I guess plus one yeah, ballistic skill is really strong. Because <laughs> the fact it was plus one ballistic skill for the entire squad, not just like Versailles yeah, uh, died as the middle. That I think that's one that if um uh some people might be tempted not to roll on that table. <laughs> I do well, this is the thing. Do we know if these are table ones? Because it doesn't seem like they are. Because mm. they're quite they haven't shown a table for it. That's a good point. Uh, I think they've shown a table for one of the Necron character ones. Right. So I think we implied that, you know, the unit ones would be as well. And so right, that's okay. probably going to be universal. I imagine it would work the same way as the current battle honors and stuff. Um, but what I really like as well is stuff like the unique agendas for each of the racial ones. I love how the quest for atonement for Space Marines actually ties into some of the battle scars they might have. Yeah, that's 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 what I was yeah. going to say. Um, for the thing that excites me the most about it, the uh, the agendas. Go on, because uh, it, it it's got a lot more um kind of interaction with the the rules than the ones in the rulebook. Because the, yeah. the standard ones are just you get extra XP. Some of these have got more specific things that happen, uh, and it's, like there's am a. I right in saying- I think there's a Necron one that gives you an extra requisition point if you do it, if you complete it or something, which is pretty, pretty yes, cool. Yes, there is. Uh, so, yeah, I, I liked that one. That I'm does right, give am me. I right saying... Sorry, am I right in saying that there's one for Marines, which is No No Fear, where they get experience for passing morale? I vaguely remember seeing that somewhere, and I can't remember where I saw it, but there was there was one I, I'm sure. Where you got ex- extra XP for passing morale tests because no. of no fear, which would be quite cool. I think that might be uh, something like that. But the um, the quest for atonement one, I just think is really cool because it's actually like it's when you select this agenda for one uh, Astartes unit in your army that has one of the following battle scars like loss of reputation, disgraced, or mark of shame. At the end of the battle, if a melee attack made by that unit during the battle destroyed an enemy character with a power rating of five or more, a warlord, monster, or vehicle unit, um, the selected unit loses one of the aforementioned battle scars and gains five XP. Yeah, it's really cool. That. So, yeah, it is, it is very cool. It's very bloody. I, well. I think the thing that's going to be deceptive about that. Is the fact that the fact that you've got that initial battle scar might actually make that that bit harder? Like I know if you've got loss of reputation, it means that you can't benefit from friendly auras, for example. So that means you're going to have to go kill that enemy monster or warlord, <laughs> and you're going to have to do it yourself. You have to prove that you um, you can earn people's rep- respect back. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, uh, the the thing that. I like about all this the most is the uh, the promise for what else is to come, uh, because obviously this is Marines and Necrons, but imagine what cool stuff there's going to be for Orcs or Tyranids or Admech or Guard, right? 
I, really, I am really hope there's an agenda for destroying enemy vehicles and using the loot it stratagem. Oh <laughs> yeah, I'm, almost I'm, certainly. I'm hoping a promotion option is in there, sort of like you can promote your. Oh, they've just they've just got a uh, medals, medals and promotions. Yeah, is what I'm looking medals. Medals. <laughs> <laughs> They just—I think that was today's article. They talked about um, in Chapter Command for the Space Marines. I know the Space Marine example again, but um, mm. where so they talked about how they were taking the like masters of the chapter stuff from Faith and Fury, so things like um, the Master of Sanctity, Master of the Forge, Chief Librarian, all that, and they're rolling them into the main codex as upgrades you can pay for in either power level or points. But there is actually a crusade requisition that you can use to upgrade um one of your characters to being that title yeah but but the cool thing about it is only once they've reached a certain level of experience in crusade yeah that's cool so yeah you you can totally see that happening for guard or whatever with your with your yeah so if you if you've got a master of ordinance or whatever you could make up a tune commander into a master of ordinance yeah, once he's uh, reached the rank of heroic or whatever. Um, I wonder. Uh, the other sort of thing is, I, I, I just think they're going to have a lot of fun with with a lot of the armies. Yeah. Um, you can I, see, like, imagine Gene Steeler cults. Gene Steeler yeah. cults. Man. I'm, I'm so much fun. I'm really interested to see what they'll do with Tyranids because, like, just gaining experience doesn't really make any sense. So it might be just getting cool, like biomorphs and stuff, and evolving. That could be really cool. I I could see them doing something like their whether they do this as a general codex one, but or their agendas. Whereas like lictors get experience points for killing enemy commanders because that's what they're designed for to find out the secrets, or they get requisition points for doing that. You know, well, there, there could it, be an a, agenda for using the um, uh, feeder tendril stratagem. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Nah. So some sort of like yeah, that'd be very cool. Um, you could have also, and like the chaos ones are going to be really interesting. Like, can you imagine? You know full well there's going to be one called um, Blood for the Blood God, and then a second one called Skulls for the Skull Throne. Yep. <laughs> well, well, you've got the idea. You, I, I, you could easily have something along the lines of uh, demonic uh, apotheosis, where you just go, "Yep, on a two plus, guy turns into a demon prince, but on a one." Uh, yeah so it it could be quite quite interesting that would be really fun to 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 see yes it's gonna be good yeah i'm quite looking forward to the chaos ones because they're i reckon they're going to be a bit more wacky and a bit more a bit more i mean weird i'm really impressed by how you know out there some of the necron stuff is so i can imagine what the chaos stuff is going to be like Mm. I I love the fact that um like one of they've got a a weapon enhancement table as a battle honor for Necrons that's explicitly tied to Tesla weapons. <laughs> so I wonder whether or not there might be a battle honor for Gauss weapons and one for particle weapons. Oh, and so on. Yeah, like one of the options for the upgrades of Tesla weapons is basically turning them into storm generators, so that you can fire them at aircraft and it actually causes the atmosphere to basically break out in a lightning storm. Nice. <laughs> cool. You know, so you can imagine the sort of things that like orcs are going to get if they're going to have weapons that are tied. Like they might have a whole weaponry tied to burner weapons. Yeah. Um, 
an entire weaponry uh, tied to um, custom mega weaponry? Or can you can you imagine if um, you could turn a smasher gun into an actual lifter dropper? Oh, yeah, move models around. Yeah. Like, if there's going to be a place for a lifter dropper in 9th edition 40k, yeah. it's going to be in Crusade. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. They could add a lot yeah, of like, the, a lot more second edition weirdness back in from oh, Crusade. Definitely. Pulsar rockets. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vortex grenade is already in there in the corner. It is. Yeah. Which, if you look at the, the, the way it's written, it's a fantastically written um, weapon because you can only throw it six inches and the area of effect is six inches. So you there is a chance <laughs> there is a chance that you could throw it and very much kill yourself. But that's what it should be. It's a vortex grenade. <laughs> it's not yep. a cuddly toy. <laughs> yes. Uh I, I definitely intend to get one. Uh, yeah. 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 And like I love some of the stuff that's like really obsessive battle scars and things that really just drive into a particular personality trait like the mindless reporn for destroyer cult units mm. like they go from re-rolling hits of a one to re-rolling all hits but the trouble is they can only ever shoot or charge the nearest thing which is that mindless about killing things I'm, i must but say I I can, can... sorry go on. i was gonna say i could imagine stuff like um odd boys for orcs they become so obsessed with the thing they do that's all they do so for example um a battle scar for orc bikes might be they have to advance every turn Mm. <laughs> um, one for tank busters might be they can only shoot vehicles or the nearest vehicle or something like that. I mean, that would be quite cool for Eldar as well because the whole point is that they get obsessed by things, so like obsessions. So you could have, I mean, we're, we're you but yeah, for an aspect warrior was to become an exarch, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or or. Like I, I, again, massively wish listing. You could have potentially an Exarch model, and then you pay a requisition point to jump them between the different. So it's the same Exarch, but you jump them between the Aspect Warriors. If that makes sense. So like, yeah, oh, I'm done doing this thing now. I'm oh, moving to this one. You could have a Howling Banshee Exarch, who then becomes a Warp Spider Exarch, yep. but keeps the Exarch ability of the Howling Banshee. Yep. On yeah. The way to being an I don't know. I mean, it's just it's it's massively wishlisting, yeah. but it's quite it's quite. Do you know what though? About... The um traditionally wishlisting for forty k stuff has always been very kind of pie in the sky crazy stuff, and you never get close to what you're thinking. But we're mm. sort of entering an age where you actually are getting kind of all the crazy stuff we can think of, like a lot of the stuff that's been shown is the kind of crazy wishlisting stuff that people were talking about or you know were thinking about that you you would ordinarily go like now nah, that'll never make it into the codex <laughs> apparently it will yeah. <laughs> yeah it's very true and uh i think i think it's fair to say that crusade is really just going to amp up and become bigger and better i think i, I what i think a good comparison is going to be is um, what stratagems were at the start of eighth, and then what they were once people got their codexes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People thought that, like you know, those initial free stratagems were like, "Well, oh, this is a cool edition. It, it does fundamentally change the way the game plays, and in an interesting way, but not to the extent that people discovered it was going to by the end mm. of the Psychic Awakening series." So, 
I could imagine Crusade having a similar escalation in what it does to the game. Yeah, that's a that's a good analogy. It's because uh, you you kind of you think back on when stratagems first appeared, uh, and you you all if you yeah if you play quite a lot of eighth and ninth edition, you almost can't imagine it before stratagems, right? Yeah, no. and um, then even looking at like the original Space Marine Codex, it, it was quite often thought that version one of Space Marine Codex in Eighth Edition didn't have any useful or worthwhile stratagems, and you basically yeah. never played any. Whereas by the time they got their second version of a Codex rolling around, mm. they had so many good stratagems. Yes, yes, they did. So I imagine the formula is just going to refine over time as well. Yeah. So yeah, like that is uh, just some of our early days impressions and of uh, Crusade and our thoughts on what is to come. And I think it's fair to say it's going to be another great year for 40k. You know, as long as we're able to play more games again, hopefully. Well, yeah, that's that nice, time. isn't it? Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> um. So yeah. So. Just before we sort of wrap up and head out the door, um, we'll just quickly go over some of our community spotlights for this episode. So I don't know if either of you two have anyone or anything you'd particularly like to shout out, but feel free to go ahead now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I thought I thought I'd uh, put a little spotlight out for a, a blog that I follow, that uh, I well quite a lot of other people follow. Um, it's uh, called Confessions of a 40k Addict uh, which is uh, f- yeah, 40kaddict.uk um, it's uh, it's basically a, it's a 40k blog with lots of pictures of cool 40k models, uh, it's run by a guy called Dave Wesson who is uh, a very nice man uh, and he paints a very lovely Tyranids uh, and some Dark Angels and stuff and it's just a, a really nice kind of uh, blog with lots of yeah cool nice pictures of very nicely painted models, um, uh, and I, uh, I I wanted to uh, shout him out because uh, yeah like I say he's a very nice man um, uh, and he is he's kind of one of the reasons why I uh, do like the forty k community stuff like like I, how I run a blog and now I'm on this podcast. Uh, because uh, he's been he's been blogging for a long time, um, and I just saw it as a it's like oh, that's that's quite cool. I could do that, or something. Yeah, probably a bit worse than that. <laughs> so uh, that's uh, that's that. It's confessions uh, of a forty k addict. Nice. I've got. Uh, I've got a, a shout out for a, a um, particularly a YouTube. Uh, narrative uh, background um, lore channel that I've been uh, enjoying greatly. It's um, Oculus Imperia, um, and it's slightly different from your normal sort of lore uh, lore videos because he does them as if he was a, a, a an imperial historian. Uh, so they are done as if they're more like role play esque type things than an actual sort of here's some lore and it's uh I, I particularly there's one particularly good one where he gets actually uh, accosted by the order hereticus as a sort of uh <laughs> why are you why are you looking into this stuff what what was it so uh, it's it's really fun really good and the vo- the voice acting on it is fantastic the guy who does it um 
is really good. So it has Oculus Imperia. Very good. Excellent. I'll have to um, check out that one as well. I, I know um, Tabletop Tactics have recently been doing a similar thing with their law series going over sort of like the custom law and background of the studio armies. And that's all done sort of from a in-universe scholar perspective. Um, so th- that that might be something to uh, check out as well, but I'll definitely check out that one. Um for myself, it's um, I've been really enjoying finding some really interesting um, Instagram accounts to follow recently, and this one is particularly spectacular, and um, I've loved everything he's put up so far. It's brilliant. So this is a guy over on Instagram called uh, Garfi Graham. So that's all one word. Um, I say it'll be links in the description below. But the the reason why his account caught my eye, and I know I'm not the only one to think this. It's because he does a lot of these sort of like battle scenes with his models um, and does some really nice um, photography of it all in very much the style of the stuff you see on the Warhammer community page. So it's, I for one originally discovered the account because I thought I was just scrolling past some of the Warhammer community posts. And actually, it wasn't. It's this guy who does all his own photography and his own setups of his units. And it was all, I only sort of worked it out because he um, he's done some stuff in his own paint schemes that I've not seen anywhere in like the studio armies. Um, and I've you know commented on one or two of his posts saying that you know like this genuinely looks exceptional and just looks like the sort of um, photography that you see of the units on the Games Workshop website. And he said, um, he, he like he's chatted with me a little bit and he said that, yeah, you know, he's, he's very inspired by that sort of thing. It's all like mini snapshots of battlefields set up in that way to sort of display the models at their best. You know how, if you see the stuff on the Games Workshop website, you can tell that it's been done as a setup to display the models and display the scenery and display the universe in miniature form rather than a snapshot of an actual game being played by two players. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very that good. kind of aesthetic. And it's brilliant. He does some really good stuff with it. And some of his more recent posts, he's actually started showing a little bit of how he does it. You know, it's so like some of his um, like camera setups of things. Um, there's one he's done recently of some ultramarines in front of an Imperial Knight. Um, and it's got like a lightning strike in the background. There's a little misty fog effect. And then he's got another shot next to it where it's like physically the picture of him setting up on, on like this dining room table in his house of his camera set up and his smoke machine and his, <laughs> this backboard that he's just drawn some like lightning strike, uh, like streaks on. And it all comes together in the photography as this really scenic image that looks like the sort of thing that would be produced by the studio. Um, and it's brilliant. And he has a real habit of hiding Imperial assassins in his pictures, <laughs> where they're hidden somewhere up on a ruin or in a background or in a corner or whatever. And there's some really nice little touches. Mm. Um, he did one recently with some of the Indomitus models, and it's the new Canoptic Stalker, the thing that looks like it's out of War from the World, uh, War of the Worlds. Um, and it's that sort of stalking its way through some imperial ruins, 
um, and there's a Vindicator assassin sort of hiding, leaned up against a wall in the way that the model is posed, but actually up against some scenery to make it look like it's just trying to stay out of sight of the sensors of this thing as it's searching for him. Um, and it's brilliant. And there's just little touches like there's a Necron warrior laid on it, um, laid on its side at the feet of the assassin. And you can tell that it's an actual, if you look closely, you can tell it's an actual Necron warrior. He's laid on its side for the shot, but it looks like it's just, um, for want of a better word, a corpse, you know, that this Vindicare has put down in order to keep his position hidden. There's some yeah. really good stuff on there. I, I, I actually follow him already. Um, so I'm I'm just looking at that, that picture you're talking about right now. Uh, and it, yeah, it's very good. It's lots of nice smoke in the background and some conveniently placed barrels so you can't see the base of that Necron that's lying on the floor. Yeah, that that's a trick um, that you'll notice if you go through White Dwarfs and anything done by the studio. Yeah. The amount of times they have stuff that's positioned in just such a way that you can't see the actual base of the model, so it, it, it hides this immersion-breaking aspect of the the shots because you don't see them as miniatures on a tabletop. You see them as the figure, like the characters in that environment. Um, and there's a lot of very custom-made scenery that's reused in a lot of the white dwarf photography that's about half an inch tall with very wide open plateaus just so you can create different heights to models and you can visually see everything without them yeah. all being stood on the same level. But the kind of scenery which, if you used it on a battlefield, would seem like it was kind of pointless and not doing anything yeah. because it's just a raised plateau, half an inch tall and a couple of inches wide. <laughs> and um, he he does some similar stuff to great effect for the purposes of the photography. And like you say, stuff like using the stacked barrels to hide the base of an Ekron warrior that's laying prone. But it's, it's done very neatly and very cleverly so that it's not obvious. And it just fits very organically into the pictures. Um, yeah, go check him out. That's uh, yeah, that. Gram on Instagram. And um, yeah, if you do want to check out anything that we've been up to as well, you can find us respectively on our various social media accounts. Like I say, all my crusading has been documented over at narrative 40k and narrative wargamer um how about yourselves do either of you have any particular accounts where we could catch up on with any of your crusading well yeah uh, um, i i'm i'm red tooth pretty much everywhere uh and i have been recording all my crusade games on my blog which is called red tooth's mostly 40k blog because it's a blog that's mostly about 40k uh, it's redtooth.blogspot.com if you want to find it. Uh, and that's um, red tooth spelt like an orc would spell it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've I've been documenting all my crusade stuff on the uh, the the Facebook the narrative Facebook uh, page, um, but I do have a an Instagram account which is Garage Hobbit. So if you would like to follow me there, then. That would be lovely. <laughs> but nice. yeah. Excellent. Well, um, thanks for joining me again, guys. It has been great. I think this has been say, a nice sort of change in pace for us. It's just a very open discussion about what we've been up to. But um, 
I think in the next episode, which will probably be the third installment of our Crusade coverage, <laughs> we'll probably take a closer look at some of the actual like missions that you can play in Crusade. And I say probably, fingers crossed, have a look at the uh, um, Pariah Nexus or um, Crusading in the Vale or whatever it's called, the new expansion book from the <laughs> workshop for Crusade. Um, I'm looking forward to getting hold of that. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks again for joining me, guys. That's fine. Right. Pleasure. You're welcome. I look forward to having you both on again in the future. But until next time, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40 games.